Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Robert Evans here, and I wanted to let you know this is a compilation episode. So every episode of the week that just happened is here in one convenient and with somewhat less ads package for you to listen to in a long stretch if you want Uh, If you've been listening to the episodes every day this week, there's going to be nothing new here for you, but you can make your own decisions. Hello, this is It Could Happen Here, and I am Shireen. And today it's just me. It's me and I am alone. So that means I am probably going to tell you about some fucked up shit that happened in the Middle East, which is exactly what I'm about to do. I just, I just think some things are purposely underreported, and even when they are seldom reported about, it's always a bit skewed and biased. So I just try to draw attention to certain countries and their people as best as I can because of this. And today, I think we're due for an update on Palestine. Israel continues to dehumanize Palestinians daily and blatantly, and it's not just through murdering them. Last year, under new Israeli restrictions on foreign entry into the West Bank, Foreigners romantically involved with Palestinians must declare their relationship to the occupying Israeli government. Yes, you have to tell them if you are involved with a Palestinian, why? I don't know, because they're treated as less than human. And this is one of many laws that deny Palestinians of basic human rights and keep them under apartheid rule. I want to talk about all that's happened in just these first few months of 2023 because this cycle of violence in Jerusalem and the West Bank in particular has suddenly surged to levels that we have not seen in years. As of this recording on March 7th, at least 66 Palestinians have been killed by Israeli forces and settlers since the start of 2023, and at least 17 of those killed have been children. For comparison, in 2022, which was the deadliest year in the West Bank in decades, 48 Palestinians were killed in the combined months of January, February, March, and April. The deaths are increasing day by day, and there doesn't seem to be a stop to them at all. 
2022 saw the highest number of civilians killed by Israeli security forces in the past 17 years, and the highest number of Israelis killed since 2016. Renewed violence flared up between Palestine and Israel in January of this year for many reasons, and it continues to build and intensify after a cascade of concerning events. And before we jump into those events that happened in January and onward, I think we need to look back on 2022 in order to understand this a bit better and to hopefully provide some context. So let's take a look at 2022 and how we got here. We are going to be focusing on the West Bank with the majority of the data in this episode in particular. The one tomorrow will be more broad. I'm going to explain a little bit about what the West Bank even is, just for some more context. The West Bank is a landlocked territory near the coast of the Mediterranean in Western Asia that forms the main bulk of the Palestinian territories. It is bordered by Jordan and the Dead Sea to the east, and by Israel to the south, west, and north. The West Bank includes East Jerusalem. It's been under Israeli military occupation since 1967, and its area is split into 165 Palestinian quote-unquote islands. These islands are under total or partial civil administration by the Palestinian National Authority, or the PNA or PA. There are also 230 Israeli settlements into which Israel law is being pipelined. The West Bank initially emerged as a Jordanian-occupied territory after the 1948 Arab-Israeli War, before being annexed outright by Jordan in 1950, and it was given its name during this time based on its location on the western bank of the Jordan River. This annexation was widely considered to be illegal and was only recognized by Iraq, Pakistan, and the UK. The territory remained under Jordanian rule until 1967, when it was captured and occupied by Israel during the Six-Day War. The Oslo Accords, which were signed in 1993 between the Palestinian Liberation Organization and Israel, created administrative districts with varying levels of Palestinian authority in specific areas in the West Bank. There was Area A, which is administered exclusively by the PA. There is Area B, which is administered by both the PNA and Israel. And then there's Area C, which is administered exclusively by Israel. And this Area C, which is controlled exclusively by Israel, accounts for over 60% of the West Bank's territory. 2022 was the deadliest year for West Bank Palestinians in nearly two decades. Israeli forces killed more Palestinians in the West Bank in 2022 than in any other year the United Nations began systematically recording Palestinian fatalities in 2005, and they started doing this after the last major Palestinian uprising, aka the Second Intifada that lasted five years. And knowing that, I want you to keep in mind that unfortunately, the number of Palestinians that have been killed by the IDF is far greater than some of the numbers I'm going to say in this episode, and again, that is because I am focusing particularly on the West Bank. I want to talk about Israel's 12-month crackdown that has been happening in the West Bank. Nearly 12 months ago, Israel began what has become a year-long violent crackdown in the West Bank. Israel last year prompted a sweeping Israeli military campaign that they called Operation Breakwater, beginning March of 2022. It was created after attacks occurred by Palestinians against Israeli settlers. Since then, Operation Breakwater has conducted nearly nightly IDF raids in the West Bank, which, of course, causes heightened friction between the IDF and the Palestinian population. 
So far, Israeli security forces have made over 2,000 arrests. And that's way too big of a number. Just to give you an idea of the terrifying scale of this operation, Operation Breakwater is the biggest IDF operation in the West Bank since the Second Intifada that I mentioned earlier that lasted from 2000 to 2005. Since the start of this operation last year, nearly every day, Israel has conducted raids in the West Bank, which is part of the Palestinian territory, which encompasses the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, and this whole territory has been illegally occupied by Israel since 1967. In spite of this, because Israel does whatever the fuck it wants because it's already founded upon existing illegally in the first place, thousands of Palestinians, many of them young, have been arrested. And nearly every week, more Palestinians are being killed. Last year, this all resulted in the highest cumulative death toll in the West Bank since 2004. Palestinian rights groups and UN experts have said that the bloodshed is due to Israel's excessive use of force and open fire rules during near-daily military operations, as well as rising assaults by settlers in the West Bank, where again, Palestinians are living under illegal Israeli occupation. Israel justified their intensifying violence because of the fatal attacks on Israelis by Palestinian militants, which also spiked last year, which is also very bad. But blaming the people you've been oppressing for nearly a century for being angry and fighting back, people without an army faced against one of the most powerful armies in the world, it just does not sit right with me. In 2022, Israeli security forces killed at least 152 Palestinians in the West Bank and predominantly Palestinian East Jerusalem, compared with 75 Palestinians in 2021. These are figures provided by the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, or OCHA. Four Palestinians in the West Bank were killed by Israeli settlers. Not soldiers. Settlers. Settlers that have been emboldened and even encouraged in their hate and violence by the Israeli far right. And the Israeli far right is basically the Israeli government at this point. And we're going to get into some of the extremes that these settlers go through in their hate and their violence more tomorrow. But for now, let's focus on 2022. Most of the Palestinian deaths occurred during Israeli military raids and clashes in the West Bank cities of Jenin and Nablus. More than half of the Palestinians who were murdered were under the age of 25. They never even had a chance to live their lives with their families and their loved ones. Each one of these individuals that were killed have people mourning them and missing them every day, and I never want anyone to forget that. Among those killed last year were also U.S. citizens, Al Jazeera journalist Shireen Abu Akhle and 78-year-old Omar Assad, and because of their U.S. citizenship, their deaths gained rare worldwide attention and briefly sharpened international criticism of Israel. Shireen, if you remember, was shot in the head while wearing a press vest. She was there as a reporter doing her job. No violence was taking place around her. She was targeted and killed. Israel says she was probably killed by a soldier's gunfire unintentionally. And that was that. The world moved on. I did an episode last year about Shireen Abu Akhle and how Israel murdered her in broad daylight. So if you guys want to revisit that, that is there. Back to the episode, I don't want us to forget that this data is regarding the West Bank only. Hundreds of Palestinians die at the hands of Israel's terrorist organization that they call an army every year. 
In May of 2021, if you can remember that far back, at least 200 Palestinians were killed in a week of Israeli airstrikes. Just one week. And the deaths included 59 children and 35 women, with nearly 1,300 people wounded. Women and children made up nearly half of the casualties. 59 children. 59 children that were just taken, with families that will never be the same. I just want people to remember these things when I mention numbers, that each number is an actual living child or person. In 2022, in a statement to the Washington Post, Israel's military said that Israeli soldiers used live fire when, quote, necessary during counterterrorism activities in response to, quote, violent riots, which often include explosive devices, Molotov cocktails, and rocks hurled at the IDF soldiers and Israeli civilians. Are you kidding me? One of the most powerful and supported armies in the world is saying that it's killing people in response to rocks being thrown at them? Armed and protected soldiers, covered in SWAT gear with all the weapons they could ever fucking dream of, fighting against a people without an army at all, blaming them in an official statement to the Washington fucking Post for throwing rocks. I mean, just, just get the fuck out of here. I, the IDF are all fucking clowns. And maybe I shouldn't be cursing and I should pretend to be <clears throat> professional, but they make me fucking mad and I think we should all be fucking mad. Because I don't think it's fair, and I know life isn't built to be fair, but to terrorize and genocide a population, drive them into a corner, and then blame them for having the audacity for fighting back in the only ways accessible to them is fucking ludicrous. You can't both sides a conflict when one of those sides has one of the most advanced and supported armies in the world that oppresses the other side that has no army and no support of any kind, a side who has rocks in their hands resorting to violence because absolutely nothing and no one is helping them. A total of 224 Palestinians were killed in 2022, including the 49 people that I mentioned earlier that were murdered during a three-day Israeli assault on the besieged Gaza Strip. 17 were children. And I'm emphasizing this because Palestinian children have started keeping goodbye letters in their pockets in case they're killed by the Israeli army. No child should have to live in fear that they might be killed at any moment, but that's the reality for Palestinian children. Nearly every day, Palestinians wake up to news that the Israeli military has killed yet another Palestinian. This daily violence against Palestinians has traumatized generations of Palestinian children and their parents have no way to protect them. Many of the casualties in the West Bank in 2022 were young Palestinians who have only ever known military occupation and the oppression of the Israeli government. The West Bank also has to deal with the repressive politics of the Ramallah-based Palestinian Authority, the PA, which was set up as a caretaker government three decades ago and is now widely unpopular among Palestinians. And I'll get into this more after a quick break, so uh, BRB. Okay, we're back. As I mentioned earlier, the West Bank has to deal with repressive politics of the Ramallah-based Palestinian Authority, which was set up three decades ago and is now widely unpopular among Palestinians. A spokesperson from the Palestinian rights group Al-Haq said, People are very, very fed up, whether it's in Jerusalem or Jenin or Nablus. The last 20 years have not shown any improvements in the situation. This spokesperson spoke only on the condition of anonymity for fear of reprisal by Israeli security forces, 
because the Israeli security forces raided the organization's headquarters in Ramallah last August. The spokesperson explained that, quote, the near daily raids in areas under control of the PA show that the sovereignty of the PA does not exist. So they're saying that the Palestinian Authority is basically useless. If these Israeli raids are happening in areas that are supposedly under control or, quote, care of the PA, then what the fuck are they even there for? Tor Wensland, the UN Special Coordinator for the Middle East Peace Process, told the Washington Post last year, quote, We have a new dynamic in the West Bank and around Jerusalem, with a, quote, new generation of Israelis and Palestinians in conflict. There is an urgent need to de-escalate. He also cited the, quote, growing tension in so-called friction zones, which are areas where Israeli settlements continue to encroach on Palestinian lands and where violence is mounting. Probably in part due to the frustration with the lack of action by the Palestinian Authority, 2022 also saw the emergence of two new Palestinian militant groups, the Jenin Battalion and the Lion's Den, both led by disaffected young men with local support networks. Meanwhile, Israel's military has repeatedly declined to provide the number of internal investigations they supposedly opened last year regarding their misconduct related to the Palestinian deaths. In September of last year, Israel announced the results of its inquiry into the death of Shirin Abu Akhle, who again was shot in the head while covering a military raid near Jenin last May. The IDF said that it, quote, found a high possibility that Ms. Abu Akhle was accidentally killed by IDF gunfire towards suspects identified as armed Palestinian gunmen during an exchange of fire. Though it has not released any evidence whatsoever showing the presence of gunmen in the area. An investigation by the Post contradicted the IDF's claim that there was an exchange of fire in the minutes before Abu Akhle was killed. And surprising absolutely no one, the IDF said it would not pursue criminal charges against its soldiers. No one is being held accountable for the killing of Palestinian life, including Palestinian children. Israel has continued to operate as though they have immunity, which, in a way, they do, thanks to the United States, who does nothing but give Israel more money and weapons and good press. Even more concerning, far-right politician Itamar Ben-Gavir, who is Israel's new national security minister, has proposed giving police and soldiers wider latitude to use live ammunition and putting laws in place that would shield them from criminal prosecution for killing or injuring Palestinians. And this should be a red flag for everybody. The Al-Haq spokesperson said that many of those killed in Israeli raids last year appeared to be either bystanders or victims of excessive force. Let's not forget that they also killed members of the press, who clearly wear press vests in a moment where no violence was ever taking place. Just a camera and reporters trying to raise awareness that the crimes that Israel commits. In early December... Israeli fire killed a teenage girl in Jenin who was on her roof as a raid unfolded nearby. Days earlier, Israeli forces fatally shot a 16-year-old boy who was throwing stones at a checkpoint outside Ramallah. We're getting to the end here, so let's take our last little break and we'll be right back. And we're back, talking about how the IDF shoots Palestinians as though they're basically playing a video game. They had shot a teenage girl and then a 16-year-old boy. And there are many disturbing videos of IDF soldiers shooting Palestinians like they are playing a video game. 
there's one video in particular that I'm thinking about that is so fucking disgusting, where one soldier is crouching down and aiming his gun at a Palestinian who was hiding behind a dumpster. I know that the Palestinian is hiding behind a dumpster because the soldier says something to the effect of, what does he think he's doing behind that dumpster? And then the soldier shoots and jumps up in pure elation, cheering for himself because he shot this person. There is another soldier in the frame next to him who seems to be more aware of the camera that is recording them, who keeps telling his annoying murderer friend to be professional instead of jumping up and down like he just scored a point in a game, because that is all this is to them. There is much more evidence of this infuriating and horrific attitude and culture of the IDF in Abby Martin's 2019 film, Gaza Fights for Freedom, which I've probably already recommended a million times and will continue to recommend. It is free on YouTube. Tor Wensland, who we mentioned earlier, the UN Special Coordinator for the Middle East Peace Process, said, quote, The continued killings of Palestinians by Israeli security forces in incidents where they did not appear to present an imminent threat to life are disturbing. He went on to say that, quote, I am increasingly concerned by the fragility of the current political and security dynamics, particularly in the occupied West Bank, including East Jerusalem. Volker Turk, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, said, For this violence to end, the occupation must end. On all sides, there are people who know this. The violence of last year reflects a dangerous mix of on-the-ground and generational changes, and this could only escalate further as Israel's mostly far-right government becomes more far-right because Jewish supremacists who have incited violence against Palestinians were recently sworn into office, including Israel's aforementioned new Minister of National Security. And he's just one of the many cogs in the machine of Israel being controlled by far-right terrorists. And yes, to me they are terrorists because literally everything they do is either a crime or a crime against humanity. Regardless, at the end of last year, Israel's new government was sworn into office. It's nationalist, exclusionist, and far, far right. It's the most extreme Israeli government in the nation's history. Benjamin Netanyahu, who's already the country's longest-serving prime minister, is at the helm of the country for the sixth time. And this time he's assembled the most far-right cabinet in Israel's history, with the most notable posts given to ultra-nationalists, one of them being the person we mentioned, Itamar Ben-Gavid, the new Minister of National Security, aka a position that oversees the police. There's also Bezalel Samotrik, who will have significant power over Israeli settlements in addition to his role as finance minister. The government has promised to expand those settlements, those already illegal settlements. The members of this new coalition have also made extensive comments denigrating the queer community. They've also called for stricter definitions of who even qualifies as Jewish. In making its vision abundantly clear, the government released policy guidelines at the end of September announcing the Jewish people's quote, exclusive and inalienable right to all parts of the land of Israel. Toward the end of January, the policies of Netanyahu's newly sorting government coalition brought out about 80,000 protesters in Tel Aviv. The protesters were largely focused on the government's proposals to overhaul the judicial system, which could weaken the country's democracy and separation of powers. Quote-unquote democracy. Yeah, right. 
But the effects of the policies on the 1.6 million Palestinian citizens of Israel and the 5.2 million Palestinians living in the occupied territories, all of these effects are going to be catastrophic and only building upon years of policies that Israeli human rights organizations say constitute crimes against humanity. The human rights defenders and experts in Israeli politics emphasize that this government is not a departure from the previous ones. And yes, it is Netanyahu's sixth time leading the country. But instead of being a new government, it's instead a culmination of Israeli politics that are only drifting farther and farther to the right, and then decades longer of policies that amount to de facto annexation of the occupied West Bank and policies of Jewish supremacy. What's different now, however, is how clearly these ideas are stated in the new government's coalition guidelines by prominent ministers of the fundamentals of how the country runs. This time, it is clear. It is written in the guidelines. There's no longer subtlety to their hate. It is in writing. The new Israeli government is somewhat of a turn from the brief centrist government of last year, but it's still seeking to implement policies that are anti-Palestinian and anti-liberal. But again, it is certainly not the first Israeli government to do these things. The executive director of the Israeli watchdog, B'Tselem, again, apologize, probably mispronounced that, said, It's key not to pretend, as many seem to already be doing, that it'll somehow be a sudden departure from Israeli quote-unquote democracy. What worries me is that even this level of clarity will not be sufficient to trigger an adequate international response. And the new Israeli government is shaping up just to be extreme as we anticipated. Israel's parliamentary system is made up of many fragmented parties, and it's slowly been collapsing and there's been turmoil and whatever because there have been five national elections since 2019. The quote-unquote change government in 2021 brought together opposing parties last year to oust Netanyahu. Finally, once and for all, right? But that fell apart last summer, and in the ensuing elections, Netanyahu built a coalition of ultra-Orthodox and religious Zionist parties that returned him to power, leading to an even more extreme government. So even they tried to get rid of him, but he came back worse than ever. And so this extreme government is already acting in extreme ways. And again, the new government's ministers have made long-standing attacks on the queer community, as well as religious freedom and Israeli and Palestinian civil society, as well as who can call themselves Jewish. Above all, there are going to be drastic implications for Palestinians living in the occupied West Bank and for the civil liberties of Israeli citizens, mostly because Netanyahu's internal coalition negotiations have brought settlers into key ministerial posts. And only days into the government being sworn in, there have been already multiple signs and signals of how these personalities are going to rule. Justice Minister Yariv Levin has introduced legislation that would weaken judicial review and the power of Israel's Supreme Court to strike down legislation. Another proposal would revamp and politicize the country's long-standing process for selecting judges. And of course, we can't forget about the fucking new national security minister, aka Itamar Ben-Gavid, who is part of the Jewish Power Party. His political ideas are inspired by the late radical iconoclast Rabbi Meir Kahane. Ben-Gavir has stepped into a role that is basically tailor-made to oversee the police both within Israel and the occupied West Bank. And in early January, he, on somehow legal grounds, directed the police to tear down any Palestinian flag in public spaces. And then there's also Finance Minister Bezalel Samatrik, 
He is the head of the Religious Zionism Party, and he's also a settler whose anti-gay rhetoric is prolific, to say the least. He has already seized customs revenues that belong to the Palestinian Authority, and he's called the Palestinian Authority a terror-abetting body that he thinks should fall. He also holds newly created authorities that give him oversight of the West Bank occupation through a role crafted for him in the Defense Ministry. So they're essentially just creating these roles and creating these rules that only allow them to have more control. Corruption 101, I suppose. We can also see clearly how Netanyahu and his partners are going to govern in the coalition's agreement that sets out the new government's guidelines. It's not legally binding, but it states plainly in its ideology that, quote, the Jewish people have an exclusive and inalienable right over all areas of the land of Israel. The government will promote and develop the settlement of all parts of the land of Israel. And this includes, to them, the occupied West Bank. Israeli human rights organization Adullah wrote in a report, This goes further than any previous agreements. The government has made explicit the coalition's party's longstanding intent to further entrench Jewish supremacy and Palestinian repression throughout the state of Israel and the occupied West Bank through a two-tiered system of governance on all levels. The new government's approach to the occupied West Bank revolves around the illegal annexation of Palestinian land. The government plans to legalize the illegal outposts that are built on private Palestinian land, and the likely result of that is Palestinians being stripped of rights and protections and left even more vulnerable to violence and the hardships they're already enduring. The Israeli rights organization Abdullah goes on to say that these changes to the judicial system and bestowing ministers like Samatrek with new authorities over the occupation threaten civil rights and individual rights in Israel, but it is mainly going to be a big, big issue against the national minority, the Palestinian citizens of Israel, who make up about 20% of the country. They are going to be the first and most severely damaged by those changes. And clearly the Israeli government, even before all of this, but now it is clearly stated, it has all the components of fascism. And yet the US still appears to be holding out hope that it can somehow work with Netanyahu and his fucking government and his fucking ministers, even now. Politics are all a scam. Everyone fucking sucks. Israel has been violating Palestinians' human rights with impunity for decades, but this new government again just illustrates the most brutal intentions with greater clarity. B'Tselem, another human rights group, said, The hypocrisy is denying that Palestinians have already been living for many years under extreme, organized, criminal Israeli state violence, underwritten by the U.S., and the lack of accountability and the acquiescence of the international community is to a great extent responsible for driving this. And as we mentioned in this episode, last year, 2022, was the most deadly year for Palestinians living in the occupied West Bank since the UN began recording the deaths in 2005. It was also the year that the most Palestinians have been held in administrative detention. And the attacks on Palestinians throughout the center-right government leading up to all of this, the governments of Yar Lapid and Nefetali Bennett, cannot be understated. It's always been bad, now it's just extremely bad and in Sharpie. The U.S. has a role here too, because it continues to supply Israel with billions of dollars of military aid, and it has also failed to publicly criticize Netanyahu's new political allies. An analyst covering Israel and Palestine for International Crisis Group said, 
there's no way that Netanyahu, as desperate as he is, would have gone to form this kind of coalition if it wasn't for years and years of U.S. abdication of responsibility for what happens here. He just wouldn't have felt that he could do it. It would have been too outlandish. And all of this brings us to 2023, which we will talk about tomorrow because I like short episodes. So I'll see you there. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And welcome back to It Could Happen Here. It's still Shireen, and we are going to continue our discussion about Palestine. Yesterday, we talked about the atrocious things that Israel has done to Palestinians in 2022, and it brought us all to now 2023. 
And as a reminder, as of this recording on March 7th, at least 66 Palestinians have been killed by Israeli forces and settlers since the start of 2023, and at least 17 of those killed were children. Thursday, January 26th, marked one of the deadliest Israeli army operations in the occupied West Bank since at least 2005. Israeli soldiers invaded a crowded Jenin refugee camp on Palestinian land and massacred nine Palestinians, wounding at least 20 others. Among these nine Palestinians were two children and a 61-year-old woman. The injuries of the wounded were in the head and chest, indicating that Israeli soldiers were shooting to kill. Israeli soldiers also blocked paramedics from delivering medical aid to the injured, and they tear-gassed the children's ward of a hospital. This massacre is the deadliest Israeli attack in the Palestinian West Bank in nearly 20 years. I just want to repeat some things in case I said that too fast or it's just glossed over, but nine Palestinians were killed, two children, a 61-year-old woman, and the injuries were in the head and the chest. They were shooting to kill. They blocked paramedics from delivering medical aid to the injured, and they tear-gassed the children's ward of a hospital. What is the justification of that? Someone please tell me, I'm all ears. Just monstrous things that Israel is doing to Palestinians. And in addition to the massacre in Jenin, Israeli soldiers killed three other Palestinians within 24 hours of the massacre, a child and two young men. This raid on January 26th led the Palestinian Authority, aka the PA, to stop coordinating with Israel on security matters, officially suspending its US-supervised security cooperation with Israel, but it's unclear to what extent that will take place. And this spike in violence is occurring on both sides. A day after the raid, aka massacre, in the Jenin refugee camp, a Palestinian gunman near a synagogue outside of Jerusalem killed seven people and injured three more. Violence is often the response when you lead with violence. And this event marked the deadliest Palestinian attack against Israelis since 2008. Israel's colonization and military occupation of Palestinian land and its violent apartheid rule over millions of Palestinians are the root cause of this violence. But U.S. media largely ignores Israel's violence as Israeli soldiers routinely murder Palestinians, including children, destroying their homes, and stealing their land. Remember yesterday when I mentioned that we would talk about the heinous things that Israeli settlers have been doing? Well, on January 28th, Israeli settlers attacked Palestinians at least 144 times. The attacks ranged from assaulting Palestinians to setting Palestinian homes and cars on fire. No arrests were made. In fact, Israeli soldiers often allow Israeli settlers to attack Palestinians, even joining in themselves or arresting the Palestinians who have been attacked. Israeli settlers live on stolen Palestinian land in violation of international law. They shouldn't be on Palestinian land in the first place, let alone be given free reign to attack Palestinians without any sort of consequence. These are all obvious hate crimes that are only supported and encouraged by the military and the government. If a government treats those it oppresses as less than human, its people will only do the same. This January was the deadliest January for Palestinians in 14 years, and Israel's violence shows no signs of stopping. It seems like Israel's new extremist, far-right government is determined to exact more violence against Palestinians this year than ever before. 
And with U.S. officials refusing to condemn their actions, Israel's leaders are getting a green light to continue to terrorize Palestinians, never held accountable for the daily violence and apartheid rule over Palestine. Palestinians deserve freedom from Israel's daily violence and, at the very least, fair media coverage so that the world understands what's really going on. On March 3rd of this year, Israel killed a 15-year-old Palestinian boy by shooting him in the back. This occurred in the West Bank town of Azun. When an Israel military vehicle drove into town, teens were hurling rocks at the car. Soldiers responded with live fire, which is a very reasonable response to having a stone thrown at your fucking tank. In addition to shooting and killing a 15-year-old Palestinian boy, a child, in the back, two others were wounded in this attack, including a child who is currently still in critical condition. Israeli forces have carried out three large-scale raids on Palestinian cities since Israel's new government took office at the end of last year, including one in Nablus on February 22nd that led to the largest Palestinian death toll in a single military occupation since 2005. Israeli forces killed at least 11 Palestinians and wounded more than 100 more. Among those killed were a 72-year-old man, a 16-year-old boy, and a 66-year-old man who died of tear gas inhalation. New armed Palestinian groups have also emerged in response to this violence, and there has been a spate of Palestinian attacks against Israelis. Going back, though, to the fuckery of the Israeli settlers, on February 26th, at least 400 Israeli settlers attacked several Palestinian villages in Nablus, including Hawara, killing one man and injuring hundreds of others. The violence came after calls were made by Israeli Knesset member Zbaka Fogel, apologies, obviously mispronounced, I tried my best, but this violence came after this Knesset member told the settlers to burn the town down. Settlers burned down more than 30 homes and at least 100 cars while beating Palestinians with metal rods and rocks. None of these settlers were arrested. About 100 Palestinians are also being treated for tear gas inhalation. In one of the many videos of this event, and yes, there are actual videos of shit like this happening without any justice, crowds of Jewish settlers can be heard reciting the Jewish prayer for the dead as they stare at a building in flames. There's a video of Israeli settlers fucking dancing as the violence takes place. And earlier, a prominent Israeli cabinet minister and settler leader had called for Israel to, quote, strike without mercy. On March 1st, Bezalel Samatrik, who was Israel's finance minister, who also handles civil administration in the West Bank, said the village of Hawada should be wiped out. He told a journalist, quote, I think Hawada needs to be erased. The state should be the one to do that. Back to that Israeli Knesset member, Zivika Fogel, again, apologies for mispronouncing that. He tweeted that, quote, Hawada closed plus burnt down. That's what I want to see. On an earlier occasion, Fogel said that, quote, a hundred Palestinians must be killed in a day. And he described these Palestinians as terrorists and to force them to the, quote, Israeli will. In response to Symmetric's statement that the Palestinian village of Hawada should be wiped out, the human rights chief of the United Nations, aka Volker Turk, who we mentioned briefly yesterday, he said that these comments are an unfathomable statement of incitement to violence and hostility. He went on to say, 
The situation in the occupied Palestinian territory is a tragedy, a tragedy above all else for the Palestinian people. This was during a report that he presented on the situation in the occupied territories to the UN Human Rights Council. He said, My report finds that over the reporting period, lethal force has been frequently employed by the Israeli security forces, regardless of the level of threat and at times even as an initial measure rather than a last resort. My office has also documented several cases of apparent extrajudicial targeted killings by members of the ISF, the Israeli security forces. The report finds that 131 Palestinians were killed by the ISF personnel over the past year in a context of law enforcement that is outside any context of hostilities. This includes 65 people who we understand were not armed or not engaged in any attacks or clashes. The occupation is eating away at the health of both societies on every level, from childhood to old age and in every part of life. For this violence to end, the occupation must end. On all sides, there are people who know this. I did mention the end of that report briefly yesterday, but I wanted to mention more of it today just to really give you the whole context of what this report was saying to the UN. The European Union's envoy to the Palestinians also called for accountability for these settler attacks. It is absolutely necessary for us that accountability is fully ensured, that the perpetrators are brought to justice, that those who lost property be compensated. In what seemed like a very rare move, the defense minister, Yolav Gallant, said that he signed administrative detention orders for two suspects over this rampage, and he court-ordered police to release all seven people who had been detained in connection to the rampage. Amnesty International condemned this release of the suspects. It also condemned the use of administrative detention, which it said was a practice that violates international law. But Israel doesn't care about that, because it violates international law a lot. And here it is. Israeli rights group Yesh Din found that 93% of investigations into settler attacks in the occupied West Bank between 2005 and 2022 were closed without indictments. And even though the U.S. demanded that Netanyahu disavow Symmetric's call for Hawara to be erased, nothing has happened. Netanyahu, on the night of the rampage, urged people not to take the law into their own hands, but he never publicly addressed Symmetric's statement or responded to the unusual criticism by the U.S., who was obviously a close ally. The situation in Israel today is clear. Israel has become a state for the settlers, where some of these militias have the support of the Israeli ministers, such as Symmetric and Ben Gavid. Israeli settlers who chant death to Arabs and may your village burn have the direct support of people in uniform and the Israeli government. And just like the other Israeli settlers who set hundreds of Palestinian homes on fire and uprooted thousands of Palestinian olive trees and got away with their crimes, it is highly unlikely that the Israeli settlers who burned homes in Hawada will be touched. And there have been protests that are actually secular and liberal in a desperate attempt to stop this growing far-right government. But they don't do much, obviously, when you're in a fascist government regime. I can't believe we haven't talked about him yet, but President Isaac Herzog, who is Israel's 11th president, and he's been president since 2021, he stepped in after these protests were happening, and with support from President Biden, he was facilitating a compromise between the government and these protesters. And what seemed like a well-intentioned effort to build some kind of consensus, it was only, in fact, this ill-advised attempt to appease fascists and pander to evil. 
and any compromise that is offered by Herzog would be skewed toward the ruling majority, which holds the power to interpret its articles at will. A compromise will also whitewash and empower the ruling fascists, presenting them as responsible and pragmatic actors as they pursue their extremist agenda and as the street opposition loses momentum and disintegrates, slowly but surely. In a recent article, Haaretz said that Herzog's plans were born in sin to whitewash a government led by a criminal defendant who was in a conflict of interest in everything regarding changes in the judicial system and certainly regarding such a radical quote-unquote reform. And obviously, the more sinister and dangerous ramifications of such a compromise lies in its focusing on Israel's liberal democracy for the Jews while ignoring its tyranny toward the Palestinians. In fact, reaching any sort of compromise on domestic affairs is sure to free the government's hand only to widen its oppression, deepen its occupation, and multiply its illegal settlements. Israel has no security solutions in Palestine. Former intelligence officer Chief Ami Ayalan, in his biography Friendly Fire, said of Israel, because of its occupation, Israel's democracy will devolve into tyranny. Let's go back to Itamar Ben-Gavid, Israel's Minister of Security, who the New Yorker actually called Israel's Minister of Chaos. He's been convicted of eight charges, including supporting a terrorist organization and incitement to racism, and who, according to former Prime Minister Ehud Olmert, presents a more eminent danger to Israel than a nuclear-armed Iran. And as we mentioned, Ben-Gavir serves as Minister of Security alongside his genocidal partner in crime, Bezalel Samatrik, the Minister of Finance. Both of these men have risen to the highest echelons of power thanks to their racist campaigns and incitement against Palestinians. Their fanatical religious movement has sprung out of the illegal settlements in the occupied West Bank, based on the Zionist belief in the necessity to take full control of all of historic Palestine, aka the quote, the land of Israel, as they call it, in order to redeem the Jewish people by any means necessary. In other words, Israel's fanatics have a divinely ordained vested interest in greater turmoil in Israel and Palestine that strengthens and expands their base, especially among their youth. After decades of military occupation, polls and surveys suggest that about 60% of Jewish Israelis favor segregation from the Palestinian Israelis, and 60% identify as right-wing today, a number that rises to 70% for those aged 18 to 24. This does not bode well for future peace or security. It's not exactly a generation that's going to die out. It's a generation that's being formed as we speak. And even though Palestine has the Palestinian Authority or any kind of leadership that is obviously weakening, even when Israel pretends to coordinate with them on security and intelligence matters, it persists on humiliating the Palestinian leaders, undercutting their authority and undermining their legitimacy as it forces settlers to rampage through the Palestinian neighborhoods and refugee camps without any sort of repercussions. And I know Israel gets called an apartheid state a lot these days, and it is an apartheid state. But basically, the engine of turmoil and violence today is only because of Israel's decade-long military and civilian occupation, this occupation that has rapidly transformed into an entrenched system of apartheid government because of the two separate set of laws, rules, standards, and structures designed to favor the illegal settlers. And to maintain and expand Jewish supremacy from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, 
the ruling fascists plan to unleash greater state and settler violence against the Palestinians as this year progresses, and in the process, transform Israel into a fascist garrison state and worsen regional turmoil. Let's take our first break here. We will continue when we come back. BRB. Okay, we're back. In 2015, the world was shocked by the kidnapping of Palestinian child Muhammad Abu Khadir from Jerusalem by Israeli settlers who burnt him alive. This was depicted in the HBO show Our Boys. It's a decent show. I recommend you watch it just for more information. It's really hard to watch, but it's still a really good show. But this event, this kidnapping of a Palestinian child who was burnt alive by Israeli settlers, This is the mentality of Israeli settlers in the West Bank today, where burning Palestinians in their homes is celebrated by their political leaders. These groups have carried out dozens of attacks against Palestinian families by burning their homes and their farms, including burning the Palestinian Dawabshe family in the village on Duma in late July 2015, where an 18-month-old Ali Dawabshe and his parents lost their lives. Between 600,000 and 750,000 Israeli settlers live in at least 250 settlements and outposts built by the Israeli government and settlers across the occupied Palestinian West Bank and East Jerusalem. That is equivalent to roughly 11% of the total Jewish-Israeli population. They live beyond the, quote, internationally recognized borders of their state on Palestinian land that Israel militarily occupied in 1967 and continues to do so until today. Settlers also lived in the besieged Gaza Strip until 2005, when they were evacuated. The Gaza Strip uh, has also been described as an open-air concentration camp, if you want an idea of maybe why they left. The majority of settlers are armed, and Palestinians living on the occupied West Bank and East Jerusalem suffer from hundreds of Israeli settler attacks each year. Such attacks, which include shootings, stabbings, arson, beatings, and rock-throwing have become more organized over the last few years. Every year, thousands of Palestinian trees and cars and homes are burned by these settlers. Many of these incidents have been recorded on video, showing that the attacks often take place under the protection or in coordination with the Israeli army, sometimes with soldiers and settlers shooting side by side. Israeli settlements are illegal under international law as they violate the Fourth Geneva Convention, which bans an occupying power from transferring its population to the area it occupies. This is for a variety of reasons, including protecting civilians from the theft of resources by the occupying power and to prevent changes in the demographic makeup of the occupied territory, which both things have happened. Israel is doing that very successfully, unfortunately. The majority of settlements have been built either entirely or partially on private Palestinian land. Despite being outside of Israel proper, these settlers are granted Israeli citizenship and they receive government subsidies that significantly lower their cost of living. In contrast, Palestinians living in the West Bank are subject to Israeli military law. And there has been an increasing number of settler attacks. Between 2010 and 2019, the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs recorded at least 2,955 settler attacks, in which at least 22 Palestinians were killed and at least 1,258 others were injured. The governance of Nablus, Hebron, and Ramallah had the highest numbers of these incidents. Since the start of 2023, 
Israeli settler-related violence reached an average of three incidents per day, compared with two incidents per day in 2022, still really shitty, and one incident per day in 2021. This is what the UN had told Al Jazeera. And this is the highest daily average of settler-related incidents affecting Palestinians since 2006. And criminal charges are rarely, if ever, pursued. And although not every attack can be tied to another, it seems that since the launch of Israel's Operation Breakwater last March, it's only driving the surge in violence further. The imbalance between these two forces doesn't get any better when you add politics and leadership into the mix. While Israel is appointing more and more far-right politicians to higher positions of power, there has been a weakening of Palestinian security forces. Palestinian security forces are trained by the U.S. and international forces to patrol the West Bank, round up Palestinian militants, and coordinate with Israeli officials to prevent attacks on Israelis. But those forces have lost a lot of legitimacy among their own people. Many Palestinians see them as doing Israel's bidding, maintaining Israel's military occupation rather than resisting it. Increasingly, pockets of the West Bank have become no-go zones for the Palestinian Authority forces, who now either refuse to enter or find it too dangerous. That includes the Jenin refugee camp, which is a dense, highly populated district. Israel says it's stepping in to fill the void of leadership, intensifying its arrest raids in these densely populated areas. And, unsurprisingly, this leads to deadly clashes. But Israel has occupied the West Bank for nearly 56 years and continues to deepen its grip on it. It says Palestinians are not ready to make peace with Israel and that the occupation is a security necessity. But it has also allowed and supported hundreds of thousands of Israeli settlers across the West Bank, which we've seen manifest in the far-right parades and the rallies that chant for the, quote, death of Arabs. Additionally, Israel's new far-right government vows to legalize dozens of small settlement outposts deep in the heart of the occupied territory, making it harder to envision a future Palestinian state there, which is part of their whole agenda. Younger Palestinians have grown up not knowing anything but Israel's brutal permit regime, which controls Palestinians' entry and movement, and some of their only interactions with Israelis are often with hostile settlers, or with occupation-enforcing soldiers, who raid their homes and jail people for months without charges. And because of the inaction of both the Palestinian Authority and the international community, some young Palestinians see violent resistance against Israel as their only viable path to freedom, with young militants lionized on social media. Let's take our last break here. We'll be right back. Talk about Palestinian leadership, Israel's far right, and a bunch of other terrible stuff. So, whoopee. Be right back. And we are back. So, as Palestinian leadership weakens, Israel's far right only gets stronger. According to polls, Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas, 87, one of the Middle East's oldest leaders, has lost the support of most Palestinians. Palestinian protesters and activists have long accused Abbas of not taking a more active role in dealing with Israeli aggression. In his 19th year of what was supposed to be a four-year term, Abbas has lost control of Gaza to the militant Hamas, calling off elections for new leadership and allowing government corruption to thrive, never laying out a clear future for Palestinians. 
But it's not the end of Abbas's reign that worries Palestinians. It's what comes next when the 87-year-old is no longer president. But the question of who will replace Abbas is not currently at the top of the Palestinian public's agenda. Dr. Mustafa Bagruti, the head of the Palestine National Initiative Movement, said that Palestinians, particularly the younger generation, are no longer viewing the two-state solution as a viable option. They are also recognizing that they can't expect anything from Israeli governments, particularly the incoming one that is discussing annexation, bolstering settlements, and suppressing Palestinian rights. He said, The notion is strengthening among the young generation that Israel only understands force and opposition. It doesn't matter whether national resistance is violent or not, which is why there's growing support for armed groups in Jenin and Nablus. Bahruti said that Israel's prevention of a two-state solution will eventually make the Palestinian Authority irrelevant. He said, The PA's current model as a type of subcontractor for Israel, which implements apartheid against the Palestinians, cannot go on forever, regardless of who runs the PA. On the flip side, Israel's longtime leader Benjamin Netanyahu is back as prime minister, surprise, surprise, with a far-right coalition that has laid out a plan for deepening its grip on the West Bank and taking tougher action against Palestinians. And with only a couple months in office in this new year, the government has already sparked a series of controversies, including over the status of the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. The Al-Aqsa Mosque is a very holy and special place for Muslims, and it has been subject to violence for years because of Israel's government. More far-right politicians have also come into office, including the national security minister we mentioned earlier, who essentially wants to give Israeli police and soldiers immunity to use live ammunition, which would shield them from criminal prosecution for killing and injuring Palestinians. Israel is also planning to destroy an entire Palestinian town, beginning their plans last month. Khan al-Ahmad is a town just miles from Jerusalem with nearly 200 Palestinians. Israel is planning to destroy the entire town in order to expand two illegal, racially segregated settlements nearby. Israel plans to bulldoze all the homes, schools, and businesses in Khan al-Ahmad, forcing families into homelessness. It's a process they've done in countless Palestinian towns. Khan al-Ahmar is simply Israel's latest target. Just miles away from this town, Israel is destroying the Palestinian community of Masafir Yata, where over a thousand Palestinians are living in fear that Israeli soldiers will violently tear down their homes at any given moment. No government should be allowed to forcibly uproot entire communities in order to steal their land. Israel should be no exception. And the fact that it continues to operate in this way as the entire world watches is just, it's shameful. Israeli officials are already prepping for a tense month in April when Ramadan and Passover coincide, which could be a combustible mix for potential religious and nationalist-fueled violence. The Israeli military is inflicting horrific, deadly violence on Palestinians every single day. Instead of condemning Israel or taking any kind of action to protect Palestinian lives, the U.S. continues to turn a blind eye while also continuing to send Israel billions of dollars every year. These billions of dollars are used to commit massacres of Palestinians. The world should bring to account the Israeli government, which has encouraged violence against Palestinians publicly and supported settlers with arms and money to carry out their crimes. 
the Israeli government just legalized nine illegal settlement outposts. If the international community, including the U.S., does not criminalize settlement activities in the West Bank, Israeli settlers who in recent years have leaned towards the far right in alarming ways will continue to enjoy impunity when they commit crimes against the Palestinian people. And Israel's brutal occupation shows no sign of ending. So we'll continue to hear news like this until any sort of action is taken to defend Palestinians and end Israel's apartheid rule of Palestine and end the ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian people. Until then, we won't stop raising awareness of the crimes against humanity that Israel commits against Palestinians every single day. And that is the episode. Whew. I hope some of that was informative or educational. And I will probably be back with more upsetting news about the Middle East very soon. So, goodbye. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
Dearly beloved, welcome to It Could Happen Here. We are gathered here today to get through this thing called life, electric word life. It's a thing that only happens with the addition of a couple of ingredients. And one of those ingredients is the subject of our episode today. Oh, Come. Oh, oh, yeah. You guys like that? Everybody really oh, happy with that? I love that. No. Yeah, I'm feeling not at all like I want to kind of shower. Okay. You can you can you can hear the moment where we're all like simultaneously questioning every single decision we've ever made in our entire mm-hmm, lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Now we're all bonded together. So how's everybody doing today? We've got uh Mia Wong, Garrison Davis, James Stout. Um, and I should let people know I wasn't joking about the cum thing. Um so those of you who are too online uh, will know this. Those of you who are not online enough, this is one of the online things that you will want to know because it's very funny. And the gist of it is that like four days ago, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson <laughs> got sent a link to a Twitter account that is that purports to be spreading like hidden news about the evils of the Chinese communist regime. And they put out a video that was a segment from a British milking fetish pornography video now if you're not aware the milking as far as i can tell i believe they're kind of descended from the long lineage of like uh uh rubber fetishists right and there's like a lot of medical fetish stuff it tied into it but the idea is that men are entirely wrapped up on hospital gurneys and giant pumps suck the semen out of them (laughs) so it's like a cow milker the machine is very similar to what you would use to milk a cow This Twitter account put this up, claiming that it was the Chinese government stealing the semen of young men. And Jordan Peterson shared it, saying it was an unbelievable act of evil. And then everyone had the best day of their lives. And an hour or two later, he deleted it. Now, I have been continuing. Coward. Coward. Cowards are deleting it. Yeah. So strange. So strange that he left the world of peer-reviewed academia. Yeah, it's it's wild that he's no longer a professor. <laughs> yeah. um, it's very funny. Uh, we're continuing to give him shit for it online. But it, it set us off down an interesting road. And because some other stuff fell through, we're going to talk about the wide world of weird right-wing cum conspiracies. Most of them, at least, are going to be right-wing. There's a surprising number of semen-based conspiracies. Um, everybody did research on their own special thing. I, I wanted to start by talking about this this Jordan Peterson come via video and giving kind of some of the uh some of the background on it. So I believe it was last July, uh the Chinese Human Sperm Bank of Shanghai announced that it was hosting a competition for college students to find out <laughs> whose semen was was the best in in terms of like, you know, a number of modal sperm per milliliter, I think is is the way that they judge it. Um and basically the idea was that uh, they were trying to find like people with sperm concentration greater than 60 million per milliliter. And if they visited a sperm bank a, a set number of times in a six month period, they could receive a prize that was equivalent to about $1,200, right? Now, the reason this is happening is that uh, China for the first time as a result of a, a number of different policies uh, had negative population growth very recently. And this is the thing that can cause a problem for a country for a variety of reasons. So the government is trying to shore up birth rates and there are a lot of couples in china that have had issues conceiving um and so there's a huge amount of demand for sperm in the country right now so this is not a weird story it is actually a thing that happens all around the world regularly 
But right around the time that this happened, um, a little bit after that, it came out that a uh, a Japanese company started selling what is called in the articles I found an automatic sperm extractor uh, to <laughs> Chinese sperm banks. Now, <laughs> this is Great. I'm going to send you all the link. I was Great. hoping you would. Oh, oh, but... oh yes, good friends. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Oh, yes, we're all going to see this. So the machine's price listing on Alibaba, where it sells for about five to six thousand okay. uh, dollars, uh. describes it as a device that quote merges modern digital technology, automatic control technology, and simulation technologies with semen collection and premature ejaculation desensitization training function. So it has a number of purposes, including I guess to help guys stop coming too early. Um, which hey, no, no shame. It's funny that someone built a machine for it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's extremely funny, and that you can buy it on AliExpress. It's like I, I personally am not attaching anything yeah. I bought on Alibaba to sensitive parts of my body. Six thousand dollars. It's not cheap. Now the primary; <laughs> these are not being used for people who are coming too too quickly um this is like the worst ever wait. r2d2 this what? It, it is it is weird what's the orientation does it stand on the ground and you just approach it you you have to stand up yeah you but what if you're a short king yeah. <laughs> i think i'm sure they have options it has like the rough shape of like a, a, a handheld massage device but it, it's kind of like formed like almost an art deco robot vagina and basically, from what I've read, kind of the reasoning is that, like, hey, we, we need people to donate sperm. Some people feel weird about just masturbating in a clinic, and we hope this is a more pleasant experience for them. So, again, this we're it. laughing because, like, look, a, a machine designed to capture semen is kind of a funny thing. That's okay. We're, no shame on anybody <laughs> for that. Um, but the fact that you have both the government trying to encourage people to donate sperm and this weird machine – kind of created fertile ground for a bunch of right-wing weirdos for, to start for, making fertile ground sorry ungrounded yeah. I, I know fertile ground to commit to make the completely un uh ungrounded claim that like the government was trying to steal people's semen right and that is the basis of dr jordan b peterson's fun little freak out on the internet and i i will say you should try to find the videos of the automatic sperm extractor, this this amazing Japanese machine, <laughs> because it is, funny. it is fascinating. Yeah. I think we should do share they, some like, of these on the Cool Zone account. Do they have to like <laughs> like like change like I assume they have to like yes, change, they change the it tube. every time? Yeah, yeah they change you can't, it every time. You can't yeah. clean that. <laughs> if you watch no. the video, there's like a there's a rubber part yeah. that like uh comes out like a, like a sea the, urchin. The thing that the penis goes in is also the capture device, so it is removed with the, the sperm donation when you take yeah. it out. Um, so again, this is, you know, a, a funny because come, but there's nothing sinister here. It's just in the same way that literally everything is, people have like spun it up into a nonsense thing. But because of this beautiful, beautiful story, which I hope we've all gotten to enjoy, I got to do a lot of work on the some of you, if you've lived, if you've worked in agriculture, you're not going to be surprised that stealing cum is a massive industry. Like it is a, there is a lot of money to be made in stealing semen. There's enough money to be made in stealing semen that there are two different official terms that I have found for semen theft. The first is sperm jacking. <laughs> Sorry, it, how, how could it get better how could it get better than that oh yeah, it, Garrison, yeah, yeah, it gets right, better because right. the second the second is spurgling <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> 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 
These are like look, professionals who like come up with these terms, huh? These are. And, <laughs> that is a marketing genius. There actually is. I did find in my research there is one actual Chinese based sperm conspiracy. It's just not a very sinister one. There's this Chinese businessman, uh, Jesse Zha Bei Zhu. Um, who stole there, there's this, I think it was a Canadian company. No, it was a US company um, who had, so this is for like bull semen. And what, one of the things that you want for bull semen is you don't want, if you're inseminating cows, you want all of the babies to be female generally, right? Because yeah. bulls are not very, with, with outside of certain specific, if you're like trying to make more breeders or whatever, if you're in industrial agriculture, you don't want any of the boys, right? You just want to keep making those sweet, sweet lady cows that, that are, you know, more useful to you in a financial sense. So there's a U.S. company that developed a method of before insemination, looking through the sperm and like sorting out the sperm that will make uh, uh, female cows, um and that is apparently hard to do i mean it sounds like it would be hard to do right yeah. um and this this uh this chinese businessman was like reverse engineering there it's kind of actually it's basically the same story as jurassic park um and anyway this guy has has gotten sued for a bunch of money <laughs> yeah. in the US court. Um, he, he got chased hope, down by a herd of velociraptor it. cattle <laughs> I hope it works out just as well as Jurassic Park. Yeah, I, I, it's very funny. I will say there's a couple of really wild lines uh, from this the CBC story I found. I'm just going to read one to you. Um, Zoo's activities could best be described as Machiavellian. At various points, he outlined a plan to make XY, that's the American company, quote, feel all the time the sword of Damocles is on their heads and brag <laughs> the law is strong, but the outlaws are 10 times stronger. True. Uh, okay, okay. What is this guy is based. Look, yeah, Jesse Jabe Zoo, my hero, the sperm bandit, incredible sperm jacker. <laughs> One of the best burglars in the business. <laughs> this man lives on an island with his cow raptors. What a hero. Yeah. Um, there was also a case of a Japanese man who illegally took Wagyu cattle sperm to China to try to give them sperm. And like the Chinese government yeah. immediately caught him and was like, no, this is actually incredibly dangerous. Like you're not allowed to just take animal breeding material into the country without, because, you know, there's a wide variety of reasons that that could be end horribly. So he got in a shitload of trouble. Yeah. Anyway, that's my that's my sperm stories, everybody. <laughs> thank you for Thanks sperm for sharing, sharing. Robert. Yeah. yeah. Thank oh, you. God. Thank you for spurgling my knowledge, Garrison. Mm. Oh, yeah. We're back, and James is here to talk to us about the kind of sperm jacking that you do when you don't jack. I'm talking about yeah. jacking your own sperm by keeping it inside of you, semen retention. Yeah, it's it. Uh, how how was that, James? How beautiful was Robert? that unscripted? Did you just like yeah. do that? <laughs> Didn't even write that. Yeah. Didn't even oh. write that, Garrison. Yeah, it's so on the back of his hand. He had a brainwave at two in the morning, and I got that down. But those are uh, the kind of things you can do when you've been podcasting as long as I have. <laughs> Robert's been in the cum space for several years. I've been in those soggy trenches for a long time. Uh, all right, we we are. After all, at work. So let me continue. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I'm going to talk about what happens when you keep your comb inside you. Uh, if okay. You, yeah, this is a thing. That, yeah. that, that what, are we, what are we doing today? What? <laughs> this is Garrison. important. This is critical journalism. <laughs> we are making content. <laughs> We're doing. Okay. Uh, talking of content, let's talk about the content of uh, some Reddit posters. So. 
the what is called the semen retention movement, mm-hmm. and this will this will shock many of you. It began on Reddit.com. Oh around. my god! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like so many wonderful. I feel things. like I feel like because no one's getting laid with their own Reddit. I feel like if you'd type that into your phone, it would have finished the sentence the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What yeah. has auto-directed auto you to Reddit.com? Oh, believe me, we're going to go there, Garrison, because when you Google sperm retention, you do indeed find some stuff on Reddit. Uh, mm-hmm. so, I'll bet. Now, they've spun off from Reddit, right? They now have their own organization, which is nofap.com. Uh, and nofat.com is a community-centered sexual health platform. I'm, uh, I'm, using, I'm allowing them to define themselves here, I guess. Designed to help people overcome porn addiction and compulsive sexual behavior. Uh, which is, is not necessarily like, like the, the... This isn't... The, like not all semen retention, as we're going to learn, is, is based in helping people overcome addiction to porn. Uh, but uh, so far as that is a thing that, that people actually have um and if someone was accusing robert of being addicted to porn on uh, on, on his timeline this weekend uh, oh, that would be because i keep ratioing jordan peterson with the uh yeah, yeah, the with pornography the, video yeah, that he mistakenly yeah, posted that's correct yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, i just I, want him to respond so i can ask him jordan tell me in your own words what you thought was happening in that video yeah, yeah. <laughs> i really hope he thinks it's like milking like they have rfid yeah. collars and they get fed based on their production level that would be great yeah and what did you you're a you're a medical doctor did you think that cum actually worked that way that you could just stick a sucker on somebody anyway yeah just get it out okay uh so after after this movement began on reddit.com it quickly pivoted to kind of offering all kinds of weird physical and mental health benefits and that's where it was adopted by uh, friends of the podcast, the Proud Boys. And luckily, we do have a bit of insight into why, into into the exact nature of the nofap fascism that the Proud Boys practice, thanks to Kyle Cheney, who's a Politico reporter, who was reporting on the trial of one of the Proud Boys accused of sedition on January 6th, called Zach Rell. And um, in that trial, for reasons that I'm not exactly clear on, uh, the Proud Boy, I guess it's like their handbook, like the, the kind of Proud Boy Bible was introduced, and uh, into the into the record, somebody oh, decided Oh, yes, it's to, in there. Yep. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's in the court record, buddy, because one of the lawyers decided that it was pertinent to the yeah. case. So a Proud Boy may not ejaculate alone more than once in every 30 days. That means he must abstain from pornography during that time. And if he needs to ejaculate, and this is really weird, it must be within one yard of a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fascinatingly so, specific. Yeah, yeah, right. And I like that they've they've gone with imperial measurements uh, with her consent. So that's nice. Uh, the woman may not be a prostitute. So that that that's the proud boys' nature. Then no fat fascism. But I think I think the way of uh, of understanding why some people practice this perhaps best is to is to go onto Reddit.com. So I found a post by Reddit user u slash monk one nine one eight one seven. It seems like a nice guy, and uh, oh, no. there are 400, 480 upvotes on this. What I did was I went to semen retention, and I looked at, uh, you know, sorted by uh, popular posts, found this one from a bunch of numbers, and uh, so this guy has uh, nine years of uh, experience with semen retention, so I'm just going to read, I'm, I'm presuming it's Oh, his. boy. <laughs> yeah, what a life. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. yeah. Him, yeah. And, him that, and some that, monks off the coast of fucking Lin's farm. Yeah, that, well, cannot, he, that cannot be healthy. Yeah. No, I don't think it is. I, there, there is, and we'll get to this evidence that you shouldn't do this. Uh, mm. So in his nine years of experience, he has experienced the following things. Semen, when retained in our bodies, has healing, rejuvenating effects. Loss of semen has the opposite <laughs> effects. This, this may not be scientifically proven, but it's proven by experience. Um, that's a red flag. So, okay. so, so true. There, that's interesting. Getting yeah. Reddit medical advice. While attempting any task that demands high physical, mental, or intellectual abilities, if we are semen retention powered, we would actually enjoy the task, which would otherwise seem dull. This is called sexual energy transmutation in layman's terms. Oh no! Wait, fair, that's the layman's. What are the? What's yeah. the non-layman term? <laughs> it just—it's it, got even more. I have no idea. Spermazoic, uh, fucking fission. Uh, so for peak performance, it's always necessary to be powered by semen. <laughs> it would be best to use semen only for regeneration purposes since nature originally intended it for regeneration and not use it for sexual purposes apart from to create a child if not serving that purpose master whatever teach techniques are useful in not letting the seed out while having sex at the end of the day don't let your seed out like a worthless thing there's more so just contain yourself okay great great which is exactly the reason why core religions are based on celibacy because Opposite of regeneration is degeneration, which will cause a man to fall into a lower state, controlled by his lower nature, rather than when he's subduing it. We should let semen retention be part of our lives, not something that is done for superpowers. For superpowers are, in my experience, the sudden ecstasy that we feel once we transition from the degenerated to the regenerated state. And that will stabilize after some time, similar to how a flight maintains stable altitude after takeoff. Very sim- very similar, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's basically uh-huh. the same thing. That's that's what you can hear when the uh, when the engines are spinning up. It's just a dude trying really hard not to nut, and it uh, it, ma- it makes <laughs> I'm, that noise. I'm so excited for the next Marvel film where this where the superhero <laughs> yeah, yeah, gains yeah. his power yeah. from. No. Paul Rudd has to not come yeah. so he can get yeah. tiny. No fat man. Uh. Uh, yeah. So yeah, he didn't. I, I should add that this person confesses to having lapsed uh, at some point in the nine years. Uh, poser, but, poser, oh, poser. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's stolen. That's like when I learned Lance Armstrong here. was on steroids. It's just disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one would have seen it coming. <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, this person then urges other posters on the semen retention subreddit to not use streaks to outperform others or look better about ourselves or bring others down. The battle with lust is a lifelong fight, and the more we get better at finding victories... <laughs> yeah, yeah, buddy. The more uh. we become better at finding victories over our internal battles, the better we become as high-valued men. Hell yeah, See, brother. I've often wished that, you know, if the, if the pandemic hadn't been a thing and I could force you all to work in a central location... I could have like a wall of murals where I put under each of your faces a quote from an episode that you've participated in. And James, that, that would be your quote. The battle against lust is a lifelong struggle. <laughs> yeah, that, I'll get some t-shirts knocked up and we can do a fundraiser. When we eventually mm-hmm. get the Cools on Media offices, we have a portrait hanging on the wall of each of us with one quote underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like on a plaque with a, yeah. Yes, we'll put, yes. When yeah. we get the Cools we'll on when we, when we 
when we take over the meta offices three weeks from now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is a marketing company that has been emailing mm-hmm. me for about six months uh, telling me how cheap it is to buy a billboard by the side of a road and send a message <laughs> to a loved one. So maybe... <laughs> Great. <laughs> maybe I'll well, go the with billboard industry is going to be fucking doing bangerang. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there will be until I put my positive messages about controlling lust and holding semen inside our bodies. Um, tr- yes. True. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, mm-hmm. Return men to their former glory. So a lot of the uh, a lot of the Reddit posts rely on a couple of different studies, right? Um, one of these studies measured participants. A lot of what they're doing is they're claiming to increase testosterone, right? Right at the bat, yeah. uh, the testosterone does have, as Lance Armstrong can tell you, some performance enhancing benefits. Um, sure. So yeah, uh, it, you know, increases your muscle growth, your, uh, mm-hmm. your your recovery from exercise, all that stuff. Um, one of the studies measured participants' testosterone levels at baseline before masturbation and then uh, in 10-minute intervals after masturbation, right? Uh, and then they were asked to abstain for three weeks and they came back and they did the process again. Testosterone was higher in the baseline measurement at the, at the end of the three weeks of abstinence, right? Um, but the sample size was pretty small. Uh, and there's some theorizing that the boost was actually caused by the anticipated masturbation that they were about to do. At, at the second, uh, <laughs> they were so second. ready to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jesus these guys are at, yeah, yeah, just ready to pop after three weeks. Uh, the second study uh, looked at a 45% increase after a few days, seven days of abstinence. Uh, but uh, even a study showed this was a temporary peak that returned to normal even with continuing abstinence. So uh, there's there's just these two studies. They're pretty. Uh, they were they happened a long time ago uh we'll post them all in the show notes if you guys want to read more about nofap science um but we should just point out that there is in fact a multitude of evidence that this is a bad idea uh that having sex is actually good for you uh, ha- having sex while, t- while trying not to ejaculate is probably not good for you uh probably mm-hmm. not good for your, your relationship either um one would surmise uh there are Unless you're into that bit. whatever yeah 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 yeah, well, yeah if that's your thing you do you do you um there was a study that investigated the motivation for semen retention among semen retainers uh and it a lot of it it seemed like it it people were people who felt that like either sex or masturbation was unhealthy or wrong or sinful and uh there is evidence to show that like feeling uh like guilty about yourself or, or, or like living with stress and self-loathing like that is bad for you right and that will reduce your testosterone level um there's also some evidence to suggest yeah. that not ejaculating can give you prostate issues uh, which is- yes um yeah there, there's there's and this is like pretty debatable like most things that people yeah. talk about in regards to coming and health like mm-hmm. you can find some studies like the studies on testosterone some of them are kind of sketchy anyway yeah. Don't, I don't think also come or come either way. Um, you know, it's whatever. But if you do have a chance to fuck one of those Alibaba robots, I recommend it. <laughs> you don't pass that up. Let's talk about cum demons. Hell yeah. Cum Wait, demons. okay. Okay. <laughs> hard, yeah. hard pivot here from. <laughs> let's, let's... <laughs> so, but okay. Yeah, you... we, we, we are not going as far afield from the no fat people as 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 you would think okay but 
All right. Now, the year is 2020. Everyone on Earth has collectively gone insane. Uh, yeah, this is this is this time. is the summer. This is the summer of 2020. So this, this is the part of 2020 where fun stuff is happening. This is like mm-hmm. late July. Oh, uh, Garrison, that's when we met. So, yeah, Aww. we were Aww. getting just incredibly poisoned. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we sure were. Uh, <laughs> That'll now, be fun in like 20 years. Well, 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 life or death struggle for the sort of the, the a life or death struggle for the fate of the United States and whether or not people are going to be continuously murdered by the cops is being waged in the streets. Uh, Donald Trump and Donald J. Trump. Donald, Donald J. Trump. Wow. Donald Trump Jr. That one. That's that's mm-hmm. that's the Trump that I'm the looking little Trump. for here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trump We're, you know, looking for looking looking for their their their, their cure to COVID-19 on Twitter. And okay, so as 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 we probably all remember, right? right. The thing that they found was hydroxy. Okay, so one of the first right. ones that they found before before Ivermectin. This is this is before God, they found so much really. shit. Yeah. yeah, was it inside of them all along, man? No, this is this is this is hydroxychloroquine, a thing oh, that was okay. probably. I hope I hope they weren't full of hydroxychloroquine. I thought it was semen. No, no, we'll we'll get to that. There, there, there's a. The, okay. the, 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 the road is long, but it ends with cum demons. But we first must walk the road. So the, the road here is Donald, Donald Trump Jr. posts a tweet saying like saying this is necessary watching about this video from this doctor named Dr. Stella Emanuel. Now, OK, okay. so who, who, who is this person? Um, she she is part of a. Well, OK, I say part of she runs this thing called Firepower Ministries. Which oh no! <laughs> so you don't yeah. think they're going great? Um, yeah. she's also yeah, part I know, of. I know broadly. Sp- yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm good. Yeah, she, she, she's also part of a America's Frontline Doctors, who are oh, this, this group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, people have forgotten. About, yeah, yeah. These dipshits. Oh right. my god. Okay. So th- this is this is very 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 much in the same vein as I I Architecture Nine Eleven Truth. They found a bunch of people who technically have medical degrees or like nurses. Who were like, no, no, uh, vaccines are bad, and hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine is will will cure your COVID. Chloroquine, that one, mm-hmm. yeah, it's 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 been a, it's it's been a long day. I, I I've, I've slept for eight hours, but in like several distinct parts of the day that were not continuous. It's yeah. been things are going Health, things are going healthy. great. Yeah, um, you'd have slept manner. better if you'd taken some horse medicine first. Quite possibly. I mean, it's, it's not like it could have gone worse. Yeah, get some catch so, in you. All right, all right. So, so this 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 person's from the very sketchy doctors who are trying to sell like a bunch of random shit to 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 cure COVID. And okay, so who actually is this person? Um, she is from Cameroon, and Doctor Stella Emanuel was caught up in uh, the unbelievably sort of. Like I mean, right? Like yes, objectively right wing. Also, very very weird wave of Pentecostalism and charismatic Christianity that's been sweeping across that part of Africa as part of sort of a, a you know a, a sort of like a, a very sort of long range coordinated effort by by right wing Christian missionaries. So okay, so for 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 people who don't know your Christianity very well, the Pentecostals and the charismatic Christians are like firmly in the very, very weird camp of Christians. Like these are these are the people who do faith healing. Um, one of the very common sort of Pentecostal things is this belief that like like you just you talk to God, 
like God's in your head and you just have conversations with him. Now, unfortunately for like all of us, and, and this is, you know, what, what, a thing that is a not insignificant contributing factor to why the last, I don't know, 10 years have been so batshit is that like th- this, this originally was kind of an isolated Pentecostal thing. And like the broader evangelicals were like, no, 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 God only talks to me like your pastor. Like he's probably not like you're, you're not like having a conversation in your head with but like, that's changed that's changed yeah, yeah. this yeah. this shit has this shit has fucking taken over everywhere it's yeah. really bad um and these people believe a lot of very very weird stuff so what do i mean okay so like you know she she has like some of the sort of standard like really really hardline like david ike shit like she believes that the, the world's being run by aliens okay. and like reptiles and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah like the the vaccine has like alien dna in it to like take over your dna it, you know this is like sort of kind Face, of facebook moments yeah, alex jones shit yeah right okay yeah. but okay now I'm, I'm, I'm gonna read this quote from will sumner this is a quote from um one of her her sermons they which is demons are responsible for serious gynecological problems emmanuel said we call them all kinds of names. Entromesius? Entromesius. We call them molar pregnancies. We call them fibroids. We call them cysts. But most of them are evil deposits from spirit husband, Emmanuel no. said of the medical yes. issues. Oh, yes. oh, God. Yes. God, no. They are responsible for miscarriages, impotence, men that can't get it up. So, all right, all right immediately, we, we, we have like, we have, there, there are several yeah. kinds of cum demons here that we're dealing with. So, there are like there there's there's this okay so a lot of this is drawn from what is I, I, a very like a, a genuinely unbelievably dubious piece of theology so when, when, I was, when I was researching this right I saw I saw I saw someone there, there was there was like a religious uh, scholar who was writing this he was like oh I immediately recognized the theology of this this is from this is from uh, uh, Genesis six. So, okay, so I was like, okay, what, what the fuck are they talking about? So I, I went back and I read Gen- – okay, so I, I went back and I read the Genesis. And I, I'm going to yeah. read the two – this is, this is from Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And I am just mm-hmm. going to read these two sentences, and Good. I am going to see if you two can produce cum demons from this. Okay. Happy to do so. I mean, <laughs> I, I could produce cum demons from almost anything. That, oh, is, that is the power. With the right machinery. Mm-hmm. Okay, but <laughs> you know what? I think we know exactly what the right machinery is. <laughs> Look, we, we know that we can produce cum demons mechanically. Our challenge here is to produce them theologically. Okay, mm, let's, that's, let's, that's I'll, I'll try. I'll try. Right. I will. Mm-hmm. I will use all of all of yeah. my occult we, we, knowledge. We yeah. must. We must find a way to evacuate the vast deference of the soul. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm using I'm using the King James translation because that's the translation that all these psychos use. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of man that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. Okay, so I mm-hmm. I do the know where they're I, I do know what what they are doing. So the sons of God, those would be what, like fallen angels that have been procreating with women. Yeah, the Nephilim. And then, like, yeah. yeah. So like this this ties into like the Book of Enoch stuff, which was made a little bit like after Genesis, but it kind of it it, it like retconned a lot of like the uh, creation story. So I I can see where they're where they're pulling cum demons from, but it is it is a bit of a stretch. Think, yeah, they're okay. kind of you could say cum demons in the way that like God seed. Yeah, you could see it. Yeah, it's that's it is a stretch. 
Now, okay, my 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 analysis of it, because I I think I I th- I think they're pulling this out of their ass, and I think they're pulling this out of their ass. <laughs> well, it's also about come deep, so yeah, they're probably this is like just just okay. So like I I I I I have it it is well known for people who follow me on Twitter that I have an immense and powerful disrespect for theology, but what what part of the sons of God? The, like the, the, what, yes. what, what part of that gets you to demons and not like because again isn't, isn't the whole point of christianity that we are all god's children like is, isn't well, the, is, is this not a thing that they tell you in every single fucking story? how do you read that and not think they're talking about people and immediately jump to come demon like, what, like here's like, what's going on i uh, i can i can explain this because this is the king's james version so th- this was made in a post book of enoch world around the around the alleged birth of jesus the book of enoch got very popular um and this this introduced the idea of a fallen angel the fall, fallen angel isn't really in the bible at all it's only in, it's only in like non-biblical um abrahamic texts so this this idea then kind of got planted into a lot of like catholic mythology as well so when they're they're caused they have they have a distinction between like the like the sons of like the sons of god versus um what was the what was the thing they used to refer refer to the daughters Uh, the sons the daughters of men exactly so the, yeah. the daughters are human where the 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 sons are like came from god so that is some type of fallen angel that has been cast down to earth yeah, that this is, like they're, I, I, they, this they is are doing so a specific dubious. thing but like, it's it's I, it's, it's like, a result of a whole bunch of like mistranslations yeah. and a whole bunch of various various like uh christian and gnostic texts that have been that have been misinterpreted for thousands of years by the catholic church and it creates a really weird theology that is indistinguishable from like castlevania so <laughs> yeah, I, 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 blame, I blame Martin Luther. This is Martin Luther's fault. Like the, like the, no, the, the Catholics were doing this. Shit. No, no, here's, the thing, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Martin Luther to keep it in high Latin so look, the proles okay. can't understand. This, this, this is this is this is what Martin, Martin Luther. I'm specifically because okay, so this was already happening. The Catholic Church was already doing this, right? But Martin Luther had a chance to fix this shit, and he was like, "Do you know what I'm going to do instead of that? I am going to I am going to turn against the peasant revolt, and I am going to do a I am going to bring about a level of anti." Semitism that is going to allow me to outflank the Inquisition on the right. He could have been fixing this bullshit. Wait, no, anti-Semitism. Woo! I gotta keep my patron lords in <laughs> well, power. He was he was German. Like, there's only so much you can ask. That's but, true. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm, I'm happy oh. that we can all oh. go to sleep at night worrying about the sons of God implanting semen. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's also okay, the awesome. thing I ever think so, about. okay, so that that that's that's come demon type type one, right? Ooh. That is okay. So those those are those are the demons that like they they have they have sex with women, and they produce nephilim from or sometimes also you get fucked by nephilim. There's there's a lot of sort of conflicting sort of theological. All that stuff here. comes from the Book of Enoch. All that stuff is non-canon to the modern Bible, but it's where it's where it comes from. Fucking Council of Nicaea. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but there's also there's also yeah. a second there's also the second kind of cum demon, right? Which is these are these these are well, okay. So, so succubi and incubi are based. Here we go. I knew it. I was <laughs> I was counting related. down. Okay. I was counting so, down. You had faith. Yeah. The 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 other kind of of demon. So you, you you have your incubi, right? Who are another type of sex demon, and the, the incubi fuck men so they can steal their semen. And there's there's there, there, yeah. you know there's, there's different sort of reasons of this. There, there, there's another thing that she talks about, which is that um, there are witches who have like astral spirit sex with men in their sleep. And if you're like having a sex dream, it's because mm. you're having astral spirit sex. Uh-huh. Oh no no yeah I mean like I'm I, like Bill Murray I've I've experienced that. 
Oh, wait, no, that was Bill Murray. Sorry, I my mistake. You I get Bill our Murray lives mixed twice. up often. Oh wait, that's understandable. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the, the the cloud, the, the the fog is clearing. I've 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 had I've had sex with too many sex demons. It's it's a real issue. Okay. So so mm-hmm. all right. So we we have the sex demons who are like trying to impregnate you. We have the sex demons who are trying to steal your cum. We also have the so we have the actual projecting projecting witches, right? And the actual projecting witches are trying to steal people's cum as part of an Illuminati plot to create like an even more powerful witch. And the yeah. even more powerful uh, witch is going yes, to use gay Illuminati. marriage and children's toys to like destroy the fabric of Western civilization and thus bring about sort of gen- general new world order, et cetera, et cetera. I have heard of this Honestly, inside some, inside is, some yeah, of my is, witch meetings, yeah. I'm that is not as far from the backstory to Warhammer 40,000 as it should be. <laughs> That's very sadly true. I didn't want Warhammer 40,000 to come into our come episode, if I'm honest. <laughs> uh-huh. No, it's I mean, look, there's a lot of people who are interested in both semen retention and Warhammer 40,000. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yep. that's a tight Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they all play ultramarines. That was a uh, that's yeah a pretty good Warhammer forty thousand joke for those of you who play. I yeah. I, I, I also I also learned a couple days ago that I one one of the many crimes of the Emperor of forty k was passing off an Amiri Bakara quote as his own. Oh yeah, that that is that was a, that was a good bit. That was a really good bit. It's little pieces like that that let you know that Dan Abnett's pretty base. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was my favorite part of the book. So funny. That's like that's literally canon. I do have like three pages written on uh, oh, on testicle Christ. tanning. So we okay, should, yeah, we, we, we skip a little bit. That, that's that's that's, that, that's the end of the sex Please. demons. Um, go yes. off. Well, okay. I the one thing yeah. I will add on is that one of the more funny modern versions of these. If you go on the Benadryl subreddit, the recreational Benadryl subreddit, <laughs> you can find people oh, yeah, who try to take enough Benadryl to have sex with the Hat Man, which is oh, my. another. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another form of trying to summon okay. shadow people now, to Garrison, steal your Garrison, semen. Maybe, maybe you, you, have have to, you have to you have to explain your terms for people here. Yeah, I'm the lost. Hat man, <laughs> the hat man is a tall, thin man wearing a hat who appears when you take hallucinogenic doses of Benadryl because you yes. can't afford better drugs because you're 17. Yes. Younger and there's right. some people. That's the hat man. Some people find the hat man extremely attractive, or some of mm-hmm. like the female shadow people variants, and they mm-hmm. they try to they. I have I have read multiple <sighs> reports of people explaining yeah. their sexual experiences with shadow people. Anyways, mm-hmm. the president of the United States and his son were promoting this, so this is great. Mm-hmm. This it. website, by yeah. the way, absolute adventures on here. I'm just reading about how to <laughs> uh, use Christ's blood as a weapon. Amazing. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. No problems here. Yeah. Do you know who won't steal your semen, everybody? We can't promise that. I I can. I can promise. Any advertiser on this show, I've personally approved to make sure they will not come into your bedroom and steal your semen. Wow. How do you do? How's the approval process work? Is that of interest? I I, I cannot divulge private. They sent Garrison $40. (laughs) (laughs) We are we are going to close off by by talking about uh, uh, sperm and testosterone, um, two two of our favorite topics for this episode. For some reason, mm-hmm. uh, ab- about about a year ago, a trailer on Fox News dropped for a new batch of Tucker Carlson originals titled "The End of Men." It opens with the text that reads, "In the current year, the cycle continues." 
once a society collapses then you're in hard times well hard iron sharpens iron as they say and those hard times inevitably produce men who are tough men who are resourceful men who are strong enough to survive and then they go on to re-establish order and so the cycle begins again Now, there's a few funny things about this video, uh, from the ripped shirtless dudes milking cows to wrestling each other and shooting <laughs> bottles of canola oil. They're just, at the gun range, they're just shooting like 10 bottles of canola oil for some reason. Maybe they're, but, uh, <laughs> they're Mussolini's, like, they're into the Mussolini stuff. You know, he was a big fan of canola oil. By, by far the most bizarre. I mean, I, I suspect they're shooting the canola because it's, like, a seed oil thing. They think that, like, seed oil is ah, so a yeah. really right-wing thing. It's yeah. Seed yeah. oils yeah. are, like, sucking out your testosterone anyway. It's mm -hmm. something very silly. But by far the most bizarre thing in this trailer is a shot of a naked man with outstretched arms, like Jesus on the cross style, standing in front of a lake at dusk with a white machine shining a glowing red light on his dick. What? And, <laughs> and again, it's a powerful at, image. At the climax of the music from 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, there's this there's this man <laughs> facing balls first in front of this large red light at the end of this trailer. I... <laughs> There yeah. should never have been any pause on our podcast or on Fox News for anyone to say the line after the end of the climax of the music from 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> oh, that's the thing we're objecting to from this episode. So, yeah, that's the line. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it shouldn't have climaxed. It lost its power in that moment. <laughs> Considering both like the... No, 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 uh, one sec, James. That was a very good joke. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for thank you for seeing me, buddy. Yeah. So considering both like the text at the beginning and then some of the narration that we just heard in the trailer, they're kind of doing this weird like Kali Yuga thing, right? Oh, yeah, that, that is that is yeah. a bit of a bit of yeah. what's going on here because uh, Kali Yuga again. You can listen to our episodes mm -hmm. on Savitri Devi for a little more information about this, but it's like this yeah. weird right wing uh, con like quasi apocalyptic concept that evolved during an intermix between some of the early Nazis and some of the people who are currently behind the present leader of india it's uh, it's way too esoteric yeah. and weird to get into but we're, it's one of the not, things that like the real get, yeah, yeah the real fucked up nazis, nazis like it shit. um we're not going to get into it too much but i think mm -hmm. the previous November, it's unsettling that it it wound up adjacent to a tucker carlson episode because it's yes. some like weird esoteric nazi wizard shit yes um, and that previous November, Joe Rogan posted a Kali Yuga meme, which went viral. It's uh, it's about yeah. how hard times create strong men, which create good times, which lead to weak men, which create hard times. It's a fucking silly. <laughs> yeah. uh, his 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 the uh, <laughs> the accompanying text on the Instagram post that that Rogan did said civilizations move in predictable cycles. We are in the Kali Yuga, the age of conflict. All of the chaos we're seeing right now is predicted in Hinduism thousands of years ago. Uh, unquote. Uh, <laughs> so Rogan was probably just like parroting something that he heard from one of his many fashy or new yeah. agey friends, which considering Rogan's social circle, that could very well just be the same person. Yes. Yeah. yeah. One of his fucking sparring buddies is either friends with a Nazi or just stumbled upon a fucking the wrong podcast and then told him that when they were smoking weed. And, yes. you know, yeah, that's I mean, that's honestly 
to it's problematic because of his platform but that's how i learned everything about esoterica that i learned when i was in my 20s was some i was smoking weed with some sketchy dude who was going places <laughs> he shouldn't have been on the internet so yeah. a few months after rogan posted this meme we have tucker carlson making this whole mini series surrounding this hard times create strong men kind of trend mm -hmm. Uh, it's taking cues from the online manosphere, and Tucker posited that weak, unmanly men are leading to the collapse of civilization, and a hardening of men is necessary to save it. Uh, according to according to Tucker, one of the one of the threats to manhood is a quote unquote total collapse in testosterone levels amongst men in recent years. And the solution goes beyond just your typical like anti-soy crusading that Tucker has done in the past. Now, Tucker has turned to the cutting-edge science of bromeopathic medicine as advocates. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, that's an even better one. <laughs> as advocated for by a quote-unquote fitness professional named Andrew McGovern, who touts that infrared light uh, and testicle tanning is this deus ex machina for plummeting T-levels in men. So obviously half the viewers right now are like, what? That's testicle tanning? That's crazy. But my view is, okay, testosterone levels like crash and nobody says anything about it. That's crazy. So why is it crazy to seek solutions? It's not crazy to seek solutions. And I think um, I was recently exposed to a term called bromeopathy. And I think there's a lot of people out there right now that um, are, don't trust the mainstream information. This TV special is is constantly referred to as a documentary. So mm -hmm. surely you would expect Tucker to try and like interview scientists or like anyone with expertise on this topic. Not uh, Tucker. Of, of course not. Actually, not 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 <laughs> no the one case. expects Tucker to talk um, to anyone serious. Andrew McGovern, mm. our our bromeopathic hero, <laughs> mm. works as a personal trainer at Lifetime Fitness in Columbus, Ohio. Oh my fucking and god! And he, he hasn't even been a trainer for very long. About a decade ago, <laughs> <laughs> not even a, a good one. About a decade yeah. ago, he was the manager of an Abercrombie and Fitch store in Miami. Oh, perfect! Yes, you know I, I, okay. I was, now CV that's where I get ripped, all of my dude. prescriptions from. Is a guy who works at the Abercrombie and Fitch store. Wait, I mean, and but in Miami. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if you want to get trim, that's where you get trim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is <laughs> that type of dude is emerging here. As of 2017, he was the director of operations for Petland retail stores. Dog. <laughs> <laughs> Keep <laughs> getting funnier. But, but, this guy's uh, resume is highly amusing. But Tucker, being a competent journalist, did not just interview mm -hmm. one person, however. Kid Rock was brought on to be the sole voice of reason. Oh! <laughs> you know, Garrison, you laugh, but Kid Rock is the other person I've gotten prescription drugs from, so. <laughs> Real bastion in the platonic cave of men stands Kid Rock and a guy from Abercrombie and Fitch. And we must only be their shadows. Dude, stop. Testicle tanning. Come on. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard anything open, that good open in a long your, time. Open I'm your starting, mind, Bobby. I'm, I'm I'm starting a punk rock band and it's called Testicle Tanning. That's the end of it. I mean, don't you think at this point when so many of the therapies, the paths they've told us to take have turned out to be dead ends that have really hurt people, why wouldn't open-minded people seek new solutions? I, I don't know what the hell is going on in this world. I'm not even sure if I understood that question, but 
some days I just want to stop this planet and let me off. Like Kid Rock was not did did not buy into testicle tanning the same way Tucker seems to. Um, oh God, is Kid Rock gonna be the voice of reason? <laughs> That's what I said. I said he was brought on to be the sole oh. voice of reason. <laughs> yeah, but we thought you were joking because it's Kid Rock. I thought you were joking. I didn't believe you. No, he's the only person oh, that doesn't no. buy it. Uh, Kid Rock stands with science. It is but, indeed sweet home Alabama all summer long. Uh, Tucker was not the first person to advocate for testicular tanning as the solution to an allegedly problematic dip in testosterone levels. Uh, dating back to 2015, you can find articles online such as, quote, former MLB player Gabe Kapler says men who want to get stronger should tan their testicles from Complex. And, quote, I put a giant red light on my balls to triple my testosterone levels from Men's Health 2017. <laughs> Is that written by Ben Greenfield by any chance? Because he normally pops up with these things. Which 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 one? The the Men's Health one. Let me, let me. It's a guy who I, injects I his own dick to make it bigger. I have it in my show notes here. This was written by someone named Ben Greenfield. Oh, look at that fucking jackpot! Oh, this bellend has won James, it. James, so proud of you today, buddy. I'm so happy we have you on our team. James, are you taking, are you taking performance-enhancing drugs for this podcast? Sadly, Robert, I'm not. But this is so funny. <laughs> we have stepped into a gold mine of content with Ben Greenfield, the guy who injected his own dick with stem cells to make it bigger. That's so funny. Uh, oh, man. I urge you, I compel you, if you have any free time in your day, just Google Ben Greenfield penis. There will be several articles at supposedly reputable outlets that will just fucking make you unwell. Mm-hmm. Well, that's th- that is great to hear, but... Despite not being the first person to talk about testicular uh, tanning, Tucker was certainly the most impactful. Um, after the airing of The End of Men, testicular tanning showed a 7,000 increase in relative search interest on Google oh, and a 35,000 increase in tweets on the topic. Now, surely some of these things are stuff like, <laughs> what are stuff like making fun of it, right? Yeah, some the of, tweets, some, I'm sure, is yeah, a lot yeah, of people yeah, But I, a lot I, of it is also... A lot of it's also people who are just talking about it genuinely. Um, To quote a study published in JMIR, a dermatology publication, quote, the promotion of testicular tanning generated significant public interest in an evidence-lacking and potentially dangerous health trend. Dermatologists and other healthcare professionals should be aware of these new viral health trends to best counsel patients and combat health misinformation, unquote. Uh... So, like, in terms of actual data... A 2017 meta-analysis of studies on sperm counts found that in North America, Europe, Australia, and New Zealand, men's sperm counts have declined by about 50% between 1973 and 2011. Now, these results have not been enough to really cause broad concern unless you're like a right-wing influencer for men because Mm -hmm. there doesn't really seem to be an equal drop in testosterone levels um, compared to previous decades. the problems mankind has had on the whole, not (laughs) enough semen per cum shot. (laughs) It's not yes. one of them yet. <laughs> yes. And and like compared to previous decades, there is this uh, maybe like a 20% decrease in total testosterone levels amongst adolescent and young adult males. But that's highly fluctual and it's impacted heavily by diet. Uh, it's it's suspected that pollution and environmental degradation um, are also suspected of being contributing factors with uh, plastics like uh, phthalate uh, being known to interfere with the production of hormones like testosterone. 
Uh, but this this area of research is still heavily contested. Um, but still, that has not stopped fitness YouTubers and conservative influencers from tying this to like the soy boy feminization of men and drumming up panic to grow their social media followings, sell their supplements, and advertise affiliate products. Uh, the creme de la creme of red lights for testicular tanning <laughs> yeah. is the Juve light. A light th- <sighs> Juve is a light therapy panel company which ha- which sells these LEDs. Um, they're they're like this they're like this upscale wellness brand. Um, the smallest model they have costs over a thousand dollars, with the full body ones going for around ten grand. <laughs> Okay, um, this is when you know it's a grift. If someone is telling you that they need to sell you sunlight, they are having a fucking laugh. Our friend Ben Greenfield advocates, uh, quote, the, <laughs> advocates that you spend the big bucks on Juve, lest you, quote, fry your balls to a crisp with a cheap knockoff. <laughs> yeah, you, you wouldn't want to do that, would you? Sounds <laughs> like this is unwise. Uh, yeah, it seems like it's maybe a bad idea. I, I I can teach you how to how to how to cook your balls safely without spending any money at all. Get a pair of double A batteries. Take them right out of your out of your uh, your 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 uh, your remote control. You stick the the active end in a bottle of water, and then you put your hand on your testicles, and you're uh, it'll it'll complete the circuit and power your testicles up with electricity, which you can then ejaculate instead of cum. They'll probably give you superpowers too. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost certainly, Garrison. Legally, this is not a recommendation to do this. <laughs> if you do this, that shit's not on us. You did that <laughs> yeah, of your yeah, own yeah, volition. Yeah, yeah. Please do not connect batteries to your dick. To quote that JMIR study uh, evaluating the public's interest in testicular tanning, quote, The interest in this topic may be partially explained by the immense attention and advertising men's sexual health and hormone replacement or hormone-enhancing therapies receive in the U.S., although subsequent media coverage largely disfavored testicular tanning due to lacking evidence and potential dangers, other health influencers came to defend and encourage the practice of testicular tanning, specifically (sighs) by using UV light. As an ex- uh, unquote. As an example, here is a clip from fitness YouTuber Elliot Hulsey's Strength Camp with 1.7 million followers. Blast your balls with sunshine to increase testosterone. Now you can drop your drawers and let your balls get kissed by the sun, or you can try one of these light panels to roast my nuts and be more manly. A 1939 study suggests that UV light exposure to your testicles increases testosterone by 200%. If you want to join me in this experiment, you can find one of these bad boys at CozyHealth.com. Then just go to PersonalLabs.com, get your blood tested, get your testosterone. Then after 8 to 12 weeks, check it again and find out if the nut rusting really works. So this whole idea goes back to this one 1939 study. 1939? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, lots of good, lots of good science in 1939, man. And if there's one thing I trust, it's science from 1939. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Got any comments on uh, on race? In this study? So, this study was published in the journal Endocrinology, and it found that frequent UV irritation to the genitals increased urinary androsterone, a, me- a metabolite of testosterone, uh, it increased these levels by nearly 200%, quote unquote. Now, you'll be shocked to learn that there may be problems with this study. <laughs> Guess how many test subjects were included in this, in this study? I'm going to be generous and say eight. So, Mia says eight. James and Greenfield, just one. One, you say one. Robert, how, how many? How many do you think are in the study? 
Jeez, I think like seven was sacred to the Nazis, so I'm going to say that. <laughs> five. A grand total of five people Whoa. are in the study. Wow, I gave them too much credit. Oh, uh, they had to pick the sacred Discordian number. Bullshit. <laughs> Three of them are 54 years old and have manic depressive psychosis. The oh. the uh, the other two are twenty eight. Honestly, honestly yeah, yeah. not a bad, not, this, not a fairly yeah, yeah. representative sample for Tucker's audience. I was, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> this is actually who watches his show. The the other two are twenty eight and forty five and have quote psychopathia with depressive features, which is a very Again. old old timey term. Yeah. Everyone on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but I, I think what what actually happened is I think they did the study at an asylum and just found people with depressive psychosis to do the study on. It, it's it's just these five these five yeah, random people. Um, no no right. individual graft results were produced. It only showed the quote unquote typical reaction, and there wasn't even a control group for the study. <laughs> <sighs> um, well, that's why bother? What was good science? Why bother? Not, not to mention there's many problems with like measuring testosterone in the first place because it changes broadly day to day and by age and it's very kind of un unreliable. Um, to quote the uh, JMIR study again, quote, beyond this questionable study, research has shown that exposure to UV radiation may increase sex steroid hormone levels. However, these studies either do not include human participants or do not specifically evaluate UV radiation exposure to the genitals. There is there is not a single other study since then that has done anything resembling like peer-reviewed science <laughs> you know Wait, what so, why everybody okay. go to go to gofundme help cool zone determine whether or not testicle tanning works and we'll get that control group <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, okay so my, my, my other question about this aren't aren't all these people getting fucking ball cancer we are. Well, we are just about. Been, to, just been like we are, a year okay. We are about to get to that. <laughs> we, because yes, you may think that shining UV lights on your balls might have some long-term problems. Yeah, it's great that Lance Armstrong's come back to the episode again. So, uh, Vice interviewed Seth Cohen, a, a urologist and the director of the sexual dysfunction program at NYU Langdon Health. Quote, I'm not aware of any science or data or any journal publications pr uh, proving that red light therapy improves male testosterone. And quote, we change recommendations on medical therapies based on double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized trials, large studies with thousands of patients. That's where you'll find if there's any really statistical significance between red light therapy and a placebo. Could these men who underwent red light therapy and came out and felt stronger and more manly, could, they, could that have been a placebo effect? Of course it could, unquote. So, and as Mia mentioned, we have not really even gotten into the potential dangers yet. Uh, close direct heat to your testicles actually damages sperm count uh, on top of the risk of, of giving yourself ball cancer by blasting concentrated UV light on your genitals for 20 minutes a day every day of the week, which is what is recommended. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. Uh, to, quote the, to, to quote that study uh, one last time, uh, quote, research shows that excessive exposure to UV radiation may lead to higher rates of genital tumor formation and decreased sperm counts as spermatogenesis is temperature dependent. Thus, given the current obsession with optimizing male hormone levels, the, uh, the high cost of red light therapy and misleading mm -hmm. information labeling of testicular tanning by prominent influencers, there may be an increase in men exposing themselves to UV radiation and developing associated complications, unquote. Great. Heroic. Uh, so, yeah. well, guys. Almost, almost done here. 
But mm. man, uh, it's pretty. It's pretty funny that all of the worst people you know are gonna get ball cancer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, don't stop them. Yeah, I. You know, there was a period of time in my life when I'd said where I would never wish cancer on anybody. But if you are deliberately exposing your testicles for the sun <laughs> to the sun in the hope of getting superpowers because of Nazi science, <laughs> it's okay. It's it's okay. Like I'm 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 not gonna mourn that. To be fair, the nineteen the nineteen thirty nine study was from the United States, so it couldn't possibly still be Nazis. I'm talking about the other Nazi science, like the Kali Yuga stuff. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And I think I, I think a, a part of this whole narrative of like the total collapse of men's testosterone levels, as as Tucker puts it, man, I is, fucking wish, yeah, my life <laughs> so much easier. But I think this is more about men in power feeling that their position of assumed superiority is being threatened. Really, all yeah. of our quack science and conspiracy theory stories today all revolve around this like subliminal dog whistle. It's no yeah. mistake that Tucker titled his program "The End of Men." In all of the stories we're covering today, yeah. it is the fear of emasculation that is the hook used to drum up fear and anger about how liberal feminism is eroding manhood. It targets some of young men's sexual insecurities while promoting this like anti-woke return to the old ways of rugged masculinity. Yeah, I, I might yeah. add, because I, I think you're missing one aspect of it. I think you're identifying what he's signaling to his listeners and what they get out of it. But I also think that what he and the other folks who are kind of in positions of power and influence in the right get out of this, because they're not, they don't believe this. They're not actually motivated by that. No. What what this no. is and what, because we, we do not know specifically why like testosterone rates may be lower, why sperm counts are definitely lower, but it likely has to do with a massive variety of, of, of industrial pollutants in the yep. environment. Um, and with the fact that industrial agriculture um, and the processed nature of a lot of our foods is having a negative impact on all of these things, like yep. it's it's consequences of capitalism. Right. And because the consequences are getting increasingly hard to ignore, the thing that people like that need to do is find either a cure for them or another way to blame or another thing to blame them on. Right. And so if the aspect, the things that are horribly unhealthy about the society that we have built is causing men to suffer consequences in their bodies. Um, the thing to do on the right is to blame that shit on the liberals emasculating men. And the solution is whatever kind of shit we can sell you, right? Like that's what's going on here. That's the motivation. Yeah. And it, it happens outside of like man shit too like that's all the right has anymore like their their economic theories have been proven disastrously wrong they have no actual ability to govern uh in a meaningful way other than by causing harm to people so it's entirely about taking the consequences of the world that they advocate and blaming them on someone else and selling you snake oil to deal with it yeah exactly and yeah. uh so that is that that is most of the <laughs> of the testicular tanning fun <laughs> that that I got right. into. Yeah, we this haven't morning. even covered all the things well, that Ben Greenfield no. did to his dick we'll, in 2017. We'll get back on this subject, but it is time for us to end. This is already over an hour. Jesus so Christ. I want to leave you all, all of you, all of you beautiful. First, I want to thank all of our beautiful correspondents for their research. And I want to leave all of you with this simple piece of advice. If you feel like your testicles aren't getting enough solar radiation simply purchase a glass cutter and an old microwave cut a circular hole in the microwave <laughs> oh, and no. bag it while it's on you'll be okay 
That is our legally binding health advice. That's the end of the episode. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, welcome to It Could Happen Here. We've got a uh, a bit of a, a bit of a downer of an episode here, but this is going to be part one of a two part series talking about the the increasing war on trans people that we've seen both on the rhetorical side and on the actual legislative side. Um, uh, with me today is Mia and Margaret. Uh, how how are you doing on this fine day? <sighs> It's it's been it's been really fun. I uh, frantically updating my part of the script because there keep being fucking new bills yeah. that are like going through committee. So it's great having having a good time. I'm doing great. I'm not aware of anything that's wrong. I assume you all are here to tell me that everything's fine. 
forever. Well, yeah. ho- hopefully next episode we'll talk more about how we can, like, uh, I don't know, deal with this sort of thing. I, I, most, I, I, it was my job to handle the bad part of the, of this two part series. And it was the other people's job to handle the good part. So I don't know what they have in planned for, for the next episode. Actually, <laughs> all I, all I did was watch hours and hours of people advocating for genocide and put together some of the worst bits that I feel like are still worth mentioning. It's probably worth noting that the two of us who are supposed to be writing about what we do about it both have swords over our shoulders. This is true. <laughs> I, I can go grab a sword if that is if, if that is a core part of the advice. I think so. Okay. So um, I think whenever I put together episodes like these, I always try to be careful not to... Inc- I, I don't just want to include people who are talking about why myself and others should die like just like i i don't want to include that unnecessarily because that's just kind of a bummer um but i think it is also important to actually hear and understand the types of rhetoric that they are trying to spread and they're trying to normalize and be aware of of what techniques and what rhetorical styles they are trying to employ so i've i've condensed this down as much as i can uh, you will you will still hear a decent amount of pretty gross stuff um, I think I should have almost all of the misgendering completely edited out. I, I should have a whole bunch of things uh, not not included, but there will be a decent amount of rhetoric that 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 you will hear from. Uh, just as as a heads up, that's what's going to be kind of part of this episode. Um, a lot of this is going to be talking about hosts that are employed by the conservative news site ran by Ben Shapiro, The Daily Wire. They have really, really focused. In, ex- in an excruciating extent on anti-trans like campaigning and activism for really the past year um it got it, this type of stuff got really bad last february and it once again got really bad this february uh it's no coincidence that this is also the start of the legislative cycle that this this is why they are doing this right now it is it is part of an attempt to actually affect the laws that the united states have around if trans people are allowed to exist it is it is it is purposeful um so we may as well just get started here <laughs> um oh. we're, we're gonna start a little bit light actually so most of this will be documenting the types of rhetoric they were using in february to march so the past like month and a half in early february candace owens on her daily wire show referred to trans people as demonic uh while advocating for the total ban of transgender health care for all ages the Trans Lives Matter protesters decided to occupy the Oklahoma Capitol building to fight GOP bills that ban gender-conforming surgery for people that are under the age of 21. So, that, of course, that should be banned if you are under the age of 21. You should not be. Honestly, you should never be allowed. <laughs> I would go a little further, Oklahoma, if you really want to do something. Just ban it altogether. Yeah, I, I love that because they're always trying to be like, no, 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 we're just here to protect the children. Whereas we've yes. known this entire time that yep. they're trying to stop anyone from being trans yes this this is a pattern that will come up a lot in the research i put together for this is how last year it was they were very much trying to make it like no it's just about the kids and then we were talking about how first they're going to try to limit it to 18 years old and they're going to limit it to 21 years old and they're yeah. going to limit it to 25 years old then they're just going to ban it altogether. and that is very clearly what they're doing and they're they're now just saying the quiet part out loud um so good on us for calling that a year in advance but now they're emboldened just to, to say it outright 
Uh, so Candace Owens refers to trans people as demonic later on in that clip. I'm not not including that bit because just just today, Michael Knowles on his Daily Wire show uh, said that this so-called transgenderism is uh, is demonic. The second second Daily Wire person to drum up this satanic panic shit. This is demonic stuff, really demonic stuff. And I made this point. I got in trouble with our publicists over at Media Matters because I said that the, the attacks on man's sexual nature and sexual difference and complementarity are demonic. <laughs> and they are. And they go back throughout all of history, throughout some of the earliest depictions of demons. Even one of the most prominent depictions of demons it comes from an artist, Eliphas Levy, who is an occultist, uh, who did a depiction of Baphomet. If you just think, what's a demon look like? You're probably thinking of this picture. Okay. Okay. All right. That's, 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 that's not that. true. That's, it's not. Hold on. It's completely wrong. So this is this is really funny what? to me because for years now I've been trying to say that being trans is not demonic. It's very clearly alchemical. Uh, so please, please get your <laughs> occult terms right. <laughs> Thousands of years of alchemical development has delivered onto me estradiol valerate. It's it's very clearly alchemy. Um, but also, it's just extremely funny to me that Knowles tried to cite Levy, who's like, Baphomet isn't really a demon in Levy's work, but like, whatever. It's it's all, it's extremely funny. He he goes on to talk about Solvate well, and, and Coagula, which I've actually been planning to do an episode on for a while, but it's it's all extremely funny to me. Is it worth describing that Baphomet is the statue of the like horn-headed person with uh, like the, the, tit, the tits and a dick? Yes, often falsely falsely identified as a Satan or a demon, but yes, it's a very famous, very famous statue. Like if you think of like the statue of Satan, this is what Baphomet actually is. Yeah, um, it's it's not Satan, but I mean, the use of this like demonic rhetoric is a very is it's, it's very basic like dehumanizing stuff, trying to dehumanize trans people, um, while also pulling from like the remnants of the satanic panic that still exists in some conservatives' minds. Um, moving on to, to a friend of the pod, uh, Matt Walsh, um, oh, one of, one of his recent main targets is actress Dylan Mulvaney. Uh, on February 14th, Matt went on a, a mindless rant while continuously misgendering Mulvaney and attacking her appearance at one point referring to her as like doing a, a woman face minstrel show routine. Which a, a reoccurring thing about this is that all of in all of their rhetoric against trans people, they also managed to be incredibly racist. Yep. <laughs> um, and like not understanding what racism actually is, which I mean is not surprising considering they they work for the Daily Wire. I'm not going to actually include the clip of Matt Walsh there because it's it's just it's just misgendering and like making fun of how someone looks for like a minute, and it's all very gross. Who is that actress? I just I live under a rock. Dylan Mulvaney. I yeah. think she does like Broadway stuff. She's like okay. a New York person. Um, okay. I've not, I've only, I've only really heard of her based on Matt Walsh's continuing uh, rants against this person. Well, we um, can't have cross dressers in the theater. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> We'd have to, I actually don't know. I literally don't know how far back you'd have to get to get to where people didn't play with gender on stage. I think it's impossible. No, well, it's, I, th it's, I think the, the further back you go, the worse it gets. Yeah. Because, like, you get into things where, like, only men could be on stage, and it's like, well, okay, this is every Shakespeare performance, et cetera, et cetera. 
in in one of the more bizarre Daily Wire appearances in this. Um, so on on, on February fifteenth, uh, a young dad uh, who called into the Daily Wire sports show Crane and Company uh, talked about how dads like him are going to cause dangerous problems if trans inclusivity continues. The hosts of the show agreed and said that violence will be an inevitable response to trans women playing sports. Which one of you brought it up, but somebody said something about dad being in the stands, finding out that for the first time that uh, somebody in the locker room was a male and that they were just hanging it all out in front of their girls, how irate they would get. Um, my view is that, yeah, we're going to have not just one irate dad. We're going to have a lot of irate dads. That's going to cause a massive problem in the school system. And it is going to be very dangerous for everybody because people are going to start taking it in their own hands because they're seeing that other people are That's not. That's exactly. Jungle rules. Do, As we call it, jungle yeah, at, rules. Exactly. At what point do we say, uh, we, we've tried to, to, to talk this out and hash this out with you. You're not being mm -hmm. reasonable. Um, those are part of my values. So it's not even us yep. saying go in there and handle business. It's saying I know what's going to happen the minute that girl runs out of that locker room or a couple girls. Imagine if a 12-year-old girl ran out of the locker room and said that to her dad. Oh my God. Just imagine that, how great or whatever. Men shouldn't be in women's locker room. But if a man that was straight walked into a women's locker room with a trench coat and just showed everything and started shaking like this and got beat Good to God. sleep, Everybody would be doing this. They'd be clapping, great job. But you let the same thing happen to somebody who says they think they're a woman in there and does the exact same thing, then it's no, it's a totally different situation. So while we're not advocating for it, I'm telling you what's going to happen because I live in the real world. I know what you would do for your daughter. Yep. That man does not live in the real world. No, and it's it's all like, it's this weird like trying to have some form of like, of a uh, of of like denial in their very clear <laughs> advocating for violence and like advocating for the normalization of just assaulting people. I mean, I even feel like though this is like this is like last year's anti-trans rhetoric. You know, the like lowest hanging fruit was to come at us about sports. This issue that affects the tiniest percentage of people. You know. Yeah, and it's it, it's it's the it's the blending of the sports issue with like the locker room stuff. Yeah. Later on in the show. Uh, another caller uh, admitted that he would assault trans women, including his own children. Um, and the Daily Wire hosts refused to push back on like any of this, as this man just advocates child abuse. And I just wanted to say too, as a uh, as a new father, uh, I've got a, a new baby boy, uh, mm. and I've got a two year old daughter. And not only would I want to beat somebody up for doing that to my daughter. But I would beat my son up if he ever thought about doing something like that in a women's locker room. Uh, it's just, again, and, and I want to make sure, <laughs> and again, we live in the real world. We know what's going to happen because <laughs> we're not even advocating violence. Like I said, we're telling you what's going to happen. These are the fathers and the brothers and the uncles and the mamas. are. It's going to get to a point where they're just going to handle business. Yep. Like, and it's just, yep. it, is, it is what it is. We're trying to tell you all. This isn't a threat. This is, it, it's, it's just a forewarning. Yeah. It is foreshadowing what's going to happen. The British are coming. Yeah. Okay, but but the British is coming is a really really funny thing for an American to say about this. Because <laughs> is he wait is he saying that they're the British? They're trying to do like a Paul Revere thing. Oh 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 like, oh! I thought they were trying to be like we're gonna show up and we're gonna handle business. Us. No, I, I, I think it's okay, going like, the opposite. I'm sorry. We are we are warning that if this insanity yeah. continues, then people will start violently assaulting anyone who they suspect of being. Yeah, uh, a man in a bathroom, which will also just lead to like people assaulting like 
like butch cis woman as well. Like, it's, yep. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like this has already been happening. Like, like one yep. of my friends can't get changed at the local gym, um, even though they're assigned female at birth because there's no safe place for them to do it because of the way that they read, you know, like, and I, I don't know, whatever. I mean, that's just one example off the top of my head, but it's just no, like, ab- it's, absolutely. it's happening constantly. Suddenly we have gender police everywhere and everyone is expected to perform masculinity and, and femininity and like weird cis normative ways. Yeah, I'm saying shit that, that everyone knows. I'm sorry. I'm just fucking no, bad. No, no, no. But I, th- I think there's something important about this too, which is like, and anytime someone tries to say like, th- anytime someone starts talking about the real world, this is the way the world really works, right? That that's not an actual description of reality. It's an it's an aspirational thing, right? And the way that you make something real is through violence. Yes, and that's what all this stuff is. Ab- absolutely, and and specifically speaking of violence and uh, child abuse, the next day on February sixteenth, uh, Candace Owens was discussing. This uh, this like trans kids TikTok video about his grandmother's transphobic reaction to him coming out, um, and it's it's also it's it's just extremely gross how these like these media people who are paid millions of dollars spend their days making fun of trans kids on TikTok like like random like random minors on TikTok who are making videos about their experiences, and they then these these like uh, these grifters and these content creators who work on the right. Just like blast these kids on their on their on their shows, they get like millions of millions of viewers. Uh, I mean, this is the entire libs of TikTok platform, but you're now seeing this across like almost every mainstream conservative influencer. So on on top of Candace calling uh, being trans a mental illness placed upon you by society, Candace Owens also said that if she had a trans grandchild, she would beat them with a cane. It is a cry for help. And your grandmother answered that cry for help by telling you that you are loved as you are and that you don't need to fall into this trap of insanity. You're the best grandma ever, by the way, because when I'm a grandma, if I get any foolishness like that, I don't know. Mm, I want to be a sweet grandma. I really do. I want to be a sweet old lady. But I feel like I might be the kind to hit somebody with a cane. I don't know. Be like, hey, I'm not calling you Michael. Psh. I feel like that would probably be me. But I, will, I would have prayed for you. You know, like the thing that I keep thinking about with this, like with this Candace clip, with most of these clips, is like they're just like laughing the whole time they're do, they're saying this stuff. Yep, like it's just a joke to them, right? It's like yeah, they believe it, but it's also it's just like a joke. It's just something they can sort of like casually talk about while like you know fucking hanging out in their show or whatever. And it's, no, ab- ab- absolutely, because I mean the the primary goal for these people is is content creation. And yeah, they're making suffering content for for, <laughs> as as well as like normalizing this type of like violent response. Yeah, um, and 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 I, and I and I think I think the sort of joking thing is is a big part of how normalization works. Like I don't think, like I I, I think it would be much harder to have someone just being incredibly serious, going like, yeah, I'm gonna like beat my child with a cane, right? Like if but if if you do in that sort of like joking like matter of fact thing it help it helps normalize it enormously yeah no absolutely i'm just really sad thinking about the because acceptance by family a family that doesn't necessarily understand but is willing to accept is like the thing that i think bolsters the spirits of young trans people or adult trans people more than anything else you know and i've been like reading a bunch of history about like trans people from 100 years ago where their family are like all right well we don't get it but what's your name now you yeah. Know? And like, 
it's fucking hundred years ago. We we could have improved from there. And, and and this is something that the Daily Wire definitely does continue to harp on across multiple hosts. Even like uh the next video that that, that we have here, um Matt Matt Walsh is doing like this the same thing. They're they're talking about if they themselves had trans kids or trans grandkids that they would continue to be as openly vitriolic um, and even violent against their own children. Uh, uh, so this next clip came like a week after Matt Walsh's first unhinged rant attacking Dylan Mulvaney. Um, Walsh claimed that he wouldn't stop barking vitriolic rhetoric if he had a trans kid, that in fact he would, quote, rather be dead than discover he had a trans kid. A beautiful and innocent kid, one day, seemingly out of nowhere, gets sucked into the gender cult and is devoured by it. All of their innocence and light and beauty just drained out of them, replaced by this self-cannibalizing madness. For a parent, to see this happen to a child, it is a fate worse than death. I would rather be dead than have that happen to my kids. Then die. What do we do, argue with you? I'm not on the debate team. This is a mock trial. I keep, I keep, I keep thinking of whenever these things happen, like I keep thinking about Matt Christman's one good line, which is we should give the Christians what they want and crucify them. Persecute, persecute all day, every day. So un- unfortunately, there was more to that clip than Walsh just threatening to kill himself. Um, using the like a groomer and protect the children rhetoric that we saw go viral last year. Walsh promises that uh, mean words are only the beginning. See, the thing that I most despise about Dylan Mulvaney is that part of a movement which actively seeks to turn my children into Dylan Mulvaney. That's why I'm entitled to my anger and to whatever language I use to convey it. I will say whatever I want to say, and I will be justified in saying it because these people are after my kids and yours, and everyone else's. And you're worried that I'm being a little rude? Well, you see, when it comes to my children, the children that I cherish more than my own life, if you think mean words go too far, then you would be very shocked to hear how far I would really go to protect them. Trust me, words are the least of it. I love this. I would do anything to protect my children unless they're a gay in which case I'm going to, like, off myself or something. Like, yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, whatever. We're already... The, the legally actionable things have already been said. <laughs> hey, it's it's not my idea. It's only Matt Walsh's. This is, this is his idea. You know, I, I, I do want to go back for a second to the early parts of this clip, what he's talking about. Like, oh, like, you have these, like, pure and innocent children and, like, the light goes out of them. It, it, like, it's, this thing that strikes me about that so much is, like, He's describing the process exactly in reverse. Like oh, absolutely, the thing absolutely. that he's describing is what is like th- this is what happens if you detransition a kid, like yes, by force. Yeah. Like the thing that actually happens when a trans kid transitions is like and you can you can literally see this in like like you can you can like literally see this in pictures of of kids is like you, like you can watch the light come back to their eyes as they transition. Totally. No, and yeah. Yeah, and it's you know, it's 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 one of sort of like it's one of the most beautiful things about being trans is like is experiencing that joy and experiencing like what it is to be yourself. And then you get to watch this fucking dipshit like just literally just like 
taking the process as it actually happens and then like lying and saying it's like literally like lying and saying that the thing that is making these people have this joy is the like the thing that's fucking killing them. No, absolutely. That that's something that's often overlooked when covering this sort of thing is the like just the presence of trans joy and the trans joy that can be experienced when people are given access to the treatments that have been like known to be successful for decades now. This is also, I mean, I don't know if you're intentionally going in an escalating sense. This is the first person that I'm looking at being like, oh, this man wants to kill me. You no, know, I am, I, I am going in an escalating yeah, sense. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We escalate pretty far over the next bit. First, I think let's, let's have a bit of an ad break. Uh, do you know who doesn't want to kill you? 50% of the advertisers. At least, at least 50% of the advertisers don't want you dead because instead they want your money. All right, we are back. Um, as as previously stated, like when when reporting on this topic before, we've always said that the, the limited focus on transgender minors was simply a form of rhetorical deception. Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? By conjuring concerns that have been like culturally ingrained in us around the protection of children, Anti-trans activists have been introducing and normalizing anti-trans talking points that inevitably get used against trans people of all ages. Uh, last year, Matt Walsh openly said that, quote, it should be illegal for doctors to medically transition anyone of any age, unquote. And as Margaret said, it seemed like we were we are moving in a more escalating direction. Um, what that that just so happened to correspond as as the month of February continued. So he, here's a clip from Daily Wire host Michael Knowles from late February 2023. In order for women to have the right to have their own bathrooms, you have to ban transgenderism entirely. You can't just ban it for the kids. It's got to be entirely. In order for women to be able to have their own locker rooms at the gym, you have to ban transgenderism entirely in order to protect businesses from having to participate in weird occult sexual rituals like the transgender transition. You have to ban transgenderism entirely. So that is just like straight up advocating for genocide, right? Like, yeah, there, there, there is no difference between this, this term that the Daily Wire people use, transgenderism, and, and currently existing transgender people. They, that, that is, you it's like saying we have to eradicate Judaism. Like, what is what what is what do you mean by that? You obviously mean exterminating human beings and making it impossible for them to continue on. Like that is that that is what genocide is. Yeah, and you, and you can hear me. Like literally, the next thing he says is like, you know, he's talking about like like transitioning as an occult ritual, or whatever the fuck. And it's like, well, yeah, no, like like he's he's explicitly saying. Like what? What? Yeah. What this banning transgenderism means? Does it ever like confuse you all when you just have these moments where you're like, these people believe in Sky Daddy? Like I'm not even anti-religious. I'm not even sure, an atheist. Sure. I don't know exactly what I am. But like when you hear people just being like, God has willed me to do this murder or whatever. Yeah. That, that this is what this person is saying. I'm just like. They think of themselves as like holy warriors who have been chosen yeah. by God to eradicate this demonic plague that is infecting like humankind. Yeah. It would be like if all of a sudden they were like, and that's why Gandalf has told me that I must go on a quest. Like, I'm just like, am I living in the same century as these people? Like, again, not an atheist, but I'm just like, 
you've decided that Sky Daddy has told you to march off to murder? Like, yeah, that doesn't even map to a fucking basic understanding even of religion. Anyway, sorry. No, absolutely. And I mean, this unfortunately continues to get worse. Um, yeah, the very yeah. next The very next day, Michael Knowles defended his eliminationist rhetoric in another unhinged rant about the, like, probably about 2 million trans people in the United States saying that quote, there can't be a genocide of trans people because it's quote, not a legitimate category of being. They said that I was calling for the extermination of transgender people. They said I was calling for a genocide against, I said, what? I must've missed that part of my show. When did I, did I say that? I don't, one, I don't know how you could have a genocide of transgender people because genocide refers to genes. It refers to genetics. It refers to biology. And the whole point of transgenderism is that it has nothing to do with biology. That's what the transgender activists say. They say, forget about biological sex. My gender expression doesn't have to have anything to do with my biological sex. Okay, well then there can't be a genocide. That refers to genetics. But furthermore, nobody is calling to exterminate anybody. Because the other problem with that statement is that transgender people is not a real ontological category. It's not a legitimate category of being. There are people who think that they're the wrong sex, but they're mistaken. They're, they're laboring under a delusion. And so we need to correct that delusion. Okay, so that was, that was a lot. I'm just clinging to my emotional support sword. What what solution, pray tell, will you be employing to correct that so-called delusion? Maybe just like, like one, one, once, like a, like one, one, one at the one end. Last one, yeah. A, a final, a final one. Not yeah. the penultimate solution. That's not his his thing. No, one, one step further. The, 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 the very, the very last one. I, I can't think of a, of a, of a, of another word for, for, for very last. But yeah, I also like. Have these motherfuckers karyotyped themselves? No one has. Almost no one has been goddamn, like the percentage of people who've seen what their genes are, like, I don't know, whatever. No, yeah, nonsense. I mean, it's nonsense. Yeah, the, the science does not hold up to the like thing you learn in fourth grade that, that you know, I don't know when they teach you XX and XY or whatever, but it's like, but like that's that not it- science. <laughs> that's not the current scientific understanding. And I think it's never really been the scientific understanding. That part I'm not as certain about. Um, no, I mean, like, it's, and by saying, like, I'm not calling for genocide because the group I'm targeting aren't even a real group of people. Yeah, they're not even it's real literally, people. Yeah. It's literally the talking point of every single genocidal fascist ever yeah. in existence. So, like, like literally, literally this, yeah. oh my god, I, I can't, I cannot find the person who was writing about this, and I, I apologize immensely, but there, there, when, when, when this clip was first circulating, there was a really interesting article about, that was circulating about how, like, not a legitimate category is what, like, the word that gets translated as degenerate, like that the Nazis used, like actually means, like like that's like non-legitimate kind of like like that very specifically is what the Nazis used as like you know as as their thing for we need to kill the Jews, right? Like that that's 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 very very specifically what they were doing. No, and, and, and like genocide does not refer to genetics no, it fucking doesn't and, and you know it, it, you, you know you can you can look at like again because like they, these people are like just unfathomably fucking stupid right like they 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 look at genocide right and they see the word gen 
and they like, go, oh, this means like genes. Gene. <laughs> no, but, you know, and I, I think I think something that, that is worth mentioning is that, so Raphael Lemkin is the guy who coins the term genocide, right? Um, the Lemkin Institute, which is the, the, like, the Lemkin Institute, which is like the institute from this guy that, it, that does genocide, like, does anti-genocide prevention work, specifically in the U.S. was like, there is now a risk of genocide against trans people. So, you know, the institute of the actual guy who made the term genocide versus a guy who thinks that gen means gene, it's like... It's just oh. no. It's it's Come very on. obvious that that is saying that transgender people are not a real ontological category is like that, he's doing that, the Nazi thing. He's literally that is doing how you the do the Nazis did. That is like, how I, you do Nazi stuff. Like, <sighs> so, um, like I'm under the impression of the whole thing with ontology is accepting that there's like multiple ontologies. Like it's clearly no, not an ontological concept in his ontological like his way of viewing the world. No. That's one of the I don't, problems. You know, I, here's the thing. I, I don't I, think I will, he would pass a basic philosophy course in college. I you know, okay, I will say this. My 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 argument against against specifically against there being multiple legitimate ontologies is this is this these people's fucking ontology who like <laughs> believe that like these people, all these fucking freaks, literally believe individually, right, that there is no scientific explanation for lightning and that like every act of lightning is an individual act of God. That is not a legitimate ontology. Like, fuck that shit. No, I, I, I refuse. I refuse to do fucking to 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 to, 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 have, to have to have there be fucking multiple valid ontological positions. I refuse for there to be multiple I didn't say like, valid. worlds. Like, no, fuck this shit. There's some that are just wrong, and you have to be able to say that shit. Otherwise, you get this fucking bullshit. Reality tunnels do do be funny like that. Um, he. He later added, quote, transgenderism ultimately is a lie. It's a deception. It is a fraud. Fraud is not protected by the First Amendment. Fraud is not a category protected by the principles of free speech. You have no right to fraud. But, you know, here's the thing. I, I will I will agree with him. You have no right to fraud. Fraud is not protected by free speech. I really like have have a have a real fun time when we fucking come for you on those principles. And your so, little like tiny ass show disappears. <sighs> a few days, a, a, a few days later, Knowles once again invoked groomer rhetoric and openly called drag queens pedophiles and explicitly called on quote the heavy hand of the state to shut down drag shows and arrest mm. performers and parents. Why is he dressed like Mister um, Rogers in a Black Mirror episode? <laughs> he's just, he's just. <laughs> Mirror universe, Mr. Rogers. He's <laughs> like just telling you to hate your neighbor, you know? Uh, I, I don't know how you can watch this and not conclude that the performers are pedophiles. I don't use that word lightly. I know a lot of people on the right use that word and they fling it around and they use it imprecisely. I don't see how you can dance around in a thong or in a leather harness in front of babies and toddlers if you are not a pedophile. So I'm, I would that if not the farm, I'd bet a lot of my money that that's the case and that's being normalized. I don't see how these parents should be permitted to keep their children. They're abusing their children. They're sexually abusing their children by taking them to these events. I don't see how whatever company is hosting this should be allowed to keep its doors open. All of this should be shut down by the heavy hand of the state. All of these people, other than the children, should be arrested. And some of them should face pretty severe consequences. Not not great stuff. He did hedge his bets. He was like, you know, I'm actually not sure about this. That was my favorite part. 
<laughs> I think it is it is interesting that the whole heavy hand of the state line is uh is 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 an interesting little little unique gem in their style of rhetoric whenever they explicitly call on the powers of the government to like do fascism. I think a lot of this type of rhetoric was leading up to CPAC, uh, in, which happened in early March. Uh, during CPAC, anti-trans rhetoric was a very central theme uh, across their many speakers. That's like the big right-wing gathering where all the far-right people get together and talk to an empty room? Well, CPAC is the Conservative Political Action Conference. Mm-hmm. It is far-right by the world's Overton window, but it's like a mainstream right-wing convention uh, in okay. the United States. Cool. So the conference featured an array of speakers, including prominent Republican politicians and policymakers, as well as people like Michael Knowles, who are just like right wing pundits. Uh, the many, many speeches it had attacks against gender affirming health care, trans inclusive uh, sports and bathroom policies, as well as the, you know, the typical groomer and, and pedophilia stuff that we saw get super popular last year. Um, as well as framing this word transgenderism as a radical ideology. Now, words like transgenderism and gender ideology are not actually terms that trans people use. Uh, these were terms invented by anti-trans activists. I, I want to be very specific about this because this is a thing I don't think people understand. Uh, the term gender ideology was specifically invented by the Catholic Church like as 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 a thing to oppose this and also as sort of a way to oppose like gay marriage and like queerness in general. Yes. And they're all of the fucking all of the like shitty like one one of the, the one of the sort of like quote unquote like dark secrets in the fucking closet of all of the like people who claim to be like radical feminists who are anti-trans is all of these people specifically worked with the cat like back 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 when this stuff was first being developed in like the late nineties and early two thousands. All of these people worked with the Catholic Church specifically to make sure that uh like that 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 more sort of like gen- the more gender inclusive like terminology and stuff like not even terminology, like more gender inclusive programs and definitions of like of what gender is wouldn't be implemented at the UN. So th- this this sort of like rad femme conservative uh, Catholic alliance is very old, and most of the people who are in it will deny that this that's what they were doing. But it is like this is this is Catholic Church shit. The Pope literally had a rant about how uh, gender ideology was colonialism, like a, like a, a week ago. This, it's like and 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 the Pope does the same demonic rhetoric as yep. these people. And I mean, yeah. So see, the, I believe it terms, from him. It makes sense from him. That's his. That's his thing. That's his literal job. Yeah, which admittedly, also, it's like, sir, you are the pope. Like, shut the fuck up about colonization, man. Like, just oh, yeah, don't. Absolutely. Like, you're you know, from Latin America. That doesn't fucking excuse you. Like, the Catholic shut Church. Up. The Catholic Church famously never, never, never done colonization. Um, but yeah, these words were invented by anti-trans activists to dehumanize transgender people and frame being trans as itself this dangerous ideology or a mental illness in a need of curing. Um, CPAC speakers uh, consistently invoked like grooming and pedophilia stuff in their in their long anti-LGBTQ hate rants. Um, Lauren Bobbert claimed that educators are attempting to groom children, echoing the libs of TikTok stuff that got popular in 2021 and 2022. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard was was at CPAC. Uh, she basically claimed that LGBTQ plus people were trying to gain acceptance for pedophiles by labeling them as minor attracted persons and allowing them to teach in schools. This is a, another conspiracy theory that Libs of TikTok has boosted for a long time. 
Um, yeah, by, the, by the way, I, 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 I want to hold a fucking grudge here, which is that there were a lot of people who like claimed to be leftists who in like 2018, 2019, 2020 were like telling all of us that uh, Tulsi Gabbard was a leftist and was like the only anti-imperialist non- or nonsense. whatever the fuck. Very like, clearly a fascist. Fuck, <laughs> like she, 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 like, no, fuck off. Uh, you were wrong. Please admit you were wrong. Uh, please be more careful about who you're going to fucking back so you don't end up backing this fucking like – weird pedo jacketing dipshit but you know who you should like, back <laughs> oh god it's is it, is it, hard? Is it not yet not yet service? almost almost not yet. okay oh not almost sorry. almost time sorry I, I i have i have it planned um matt gates spoke about an incident in virginia which the right-wing media sphere has spread disinformation about to falsely frame it as an instance of a trans student abusing inclusive bathroom policies to attack young girls just spreading all kinds of misinformation and disinformation from these right-wing hate websites that that is why they exist, is to propagate disinformation. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene targeted gender-affirming healthcare, praising her current reintroduction of the 2022 Protect Children's Innocence Act in the House, a bill which would make it a felony to provide gender-affirming care to minors. Uh, Greene spread the lies and disinformation made popular by Matt Walsh that gender-affirming healthcare is designed to, quote, mutilate your kids and, quote, chemically castrate them, stuff that we've debunked on the show before and many others have debunked. Um, Trump gave a pretty, pretty bad transphobic speech uh, to close out the conference. On the one side, he said that he would keep men out of women's sports, um, but then closed out CPAC by saying, quote, he would revoke every Biden policy promoting the sexual mutilation and chemical castration of our youth. And I will ask Congress to send me a bill prohibiting child sexual mutilation in all 50 states, unquote. Um, I don't want to include Trump's stuff here because I find his voice to be slightly annoying. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving moving on. Donald Trump more annoying than Michael Knowles. Sh- shocking. Huh, so hard. <laughs> Challenge level almost impossible. <laughs> speaking, speaking of Michael Knowles, uh, he gave a speech at CPAC where he advocated that transgenderism must be eradicated to thunderous applause. Now, I'm going to play this whole clip here. Bear with me. There can be no middle way in dealing with transgenderism. It is all or nothing. If transgenderism is true, if men really can become women, then it's true for everybody of all ages. If transgenderism is false, as it is, if men really can't become women, as they cannot, then it's false for everybody too. And if it's false, then we should not indulge it especially since that indulgence requires taking away the rights and customs of so many people. If it is false, then for the good of society, and especially for the good of the poor people who have fallen prey to this confusion, transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely. The whole preposterous ideology at every level. Pretty, pretty bad stuff. Not great to hear a room full of people applaud someone who's very clearly talking about the eradication of an entire group of people. Yep. And I, I want to specifically point out the from public life thing because that was something that, you know, like back when the first bathroom bills were happening in 2016, right? You know, like people like trans people who were following this stuff, you know, the thing everyone said was they're trying to they're trying to erase trans people from public life. Right, because that's that's what happens when you can't use a restroom, 
in public, right? It's like it, 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 it limits your ability to just exist in, in, in the public sphere. And we've gotten to a point now where they can just fucking say what we, you know, what we all knew they wanted from the beginning. And that's terrifying. I remember when I hit the, um, the kind of uncanny valley space, like when I hit the space where I freaked people out no matter what bathroom I used, you know, it was like a very conscious thing where I remember Cause I, I pick which bathroom to use based on safety. Right. And, um, and like, depending on my presentation, it's, it's wildly different depending on what kind of space I'm in. It's wildly different. I don't know. I just, I just remember really consciously the first time I like just, I picked the men's room and then got like double takes about why was I in there. And it's just like, Oh, I like can't do anything anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, absolutely. After Knowles' speech at CPAC arguing for the eradication of transgenderism, quote-unquote, uh, Daily Wire hosts, including Matt Walsh, defended him by saying, quote, We are in a war against the most deranged ideology ever invented by the human race. We are fighting to eradicate the ideological equivalent of a parasitic infection. But is a term like eradicate over the top? Does it have a needlessly militant tone? No. Definitely not. The tone may be militant, but not needlessly so. We are, after all, in a war, and lives are at stake. We are in a war against the most deranged ideology ever invented by the human race, plain and simple. We are fighting to eradicate the ideological equivalent of a parasitic infestation, and the parasite, gender ideology, seeks to not only brainwash a generation of children, not only degrade and appropriate womanhood, but also, and manhood, by the way, but also, and most fundamentally, it seeks to eat away at truth itself. This is, this is coming from somebody who glibly refers to himself as a theocratic fascist. And in cases like this, when they tell you who they are, you should fucking believe them. Like... The first bit of that clip is like pretty bad, very, very clearly fascistic. Like it's it's checking all of the boxes. Um, but then I'm going to continue on to the second part of this clip, can we, and it is incredibly chilling. Can we point out about how his poor choice in plaid is also degrading to masculinity? <laughs> really, he is the greatest threat to masculinity right now because of his plaid choice. Eradication of gender ideology, total defeat is the only option because there's no compromise with it. There's no living side by side with it. There's no finding common ground. The gender ideologue wants to destroy your culture and your children. You will either rise up against it or lose everything to it. We're so fucked. <laughs> it's so Nazi. Like, yeah. quote, total defeat is the only option. The gender ideologue wants to destroy your culture and your children. Like, that is less than a stone's throw away from we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. It's right there. It's like, it's so, it's so clear. I think there's like a tiny grain of truth in it, which is that like, they are very, very, very close to like permanently losing the battle over whether trans people can exist. And that's why they're doing this, right? Because like the, yes. the only like, like so like so, so support for trans people getting healthcare is like sixty is at like sixty percent, right? The the only thing they have left is just straight up genocide. Because yes. if they don't fucking kill us all now, right? And they don't right now act to make it impossible for future trans people to be trans, right? They are going to lose. And, yeah. and I I will talk about this towards the end of the episode. Yeah. This, is, this is kind of part of my thesis on this. And this is something that Michael Knowles himself actually admits. 
In one of Michael Knowles' uh, first shows after CPAC, he suggests that eradicating transgenderism would be a simple matter of returning to the state of affairs in 2015. To eradicate transgenderism from public life. And it's a good question. I'm glad people are talking about that. That was the point of my speech. What would it mean to eradicate the preposterous ideology of transgenderism from public life at every level? Put simply, eradicating transgenderism from public life would mean behaving as American society did before, say, 2015. Before around 2015, we did not have any acceptance of transgenderism in public life. Also, in just like a grim moment of surality, uh, in, in the middle of that clip, Knowles does an ad read for a company called Rabbit Air, which is an air purifier company who has an office in Pasadena, California. Um, <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Knowles goes on to blame Obama for leading this wave of trans acceptance in public life. Now, this whole 2015 thing is very funny to me because in, in a lot of ways, it was actually kind of easier to be trans in 2015 yeah. than it is right now. Yeah. Um, but I and I think that this is mostly that like for for conservatives, it's mostly that young trans people are simply more visible now, uh, mostly due to things like TikTok. Like there's just there's a more visible presence of trans joy and trans people living. And that is angering conservatives. So they think this is like some new recent thing and because michael knowles did an ad break for rabbit air uh who again has an office in pasadena california i i too am going to do an ad break for our fine sponsors all right and we're back we are we are we are almost done i only have like one or two more clips to 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 show i liked the ad for rabbit air that just played <laughs> fuck off <laughs> so in michael knowles case i think he isn't even primarily against just like trans equality. He is against modernity. Now, when I say modernity, I'm not referring to like industrial civilization and its many consequences for humans and the planet at large. Right wing anti modernism is very different than like anarchist anti civ ideas. This idea of modernism isn't really tied to industrial developments. It's more linked to a psycho spiritual antagonism against modern social progress. It's more akin to the esoteric super fascist Julius Evola's idea of like revolt against the modern world and how liberalism is like a plague against moral society and causing mass degeneracy. Michael Knowles' own Twitter bio reads, quote, I am completely opposed to the error of the modernists. Again, when these people tell you, tell you who they are, you have to believe them. Um, just this week during a speech at the University of Buffalo, Knowles laid out a plan to attack, quote, the illogic of so-called gay marriage, the right to fornication, and the feminists who loosened divorce laws. Yeah, and I, I think it's I think it's worth pointing out here, right? I think I think the actual reason why 2015 is the year that he picked out of his head is that 2015 is the year that gay that uh, gay marriage was legalized by the Supreme Court. Sure. So like that that like 99 percent chance that he means like 2015 before gay marriage is the thing that he wants to go back to. But here's here's a here's a clip of him talking about how conservatives have continued to lose lose the battleground on a whole bunch of topics and how he's going to try to win them back. Now, even many conservatives accept so-called gay marriage. And they have to they have to accept 
gay marriage if they accept the illogic of the sexual revolution, which held that all sexual relations are fine and dandy so long as they're consensual. After the sexual revolution, the only test for sexual ethics became, if it feels good, do it. For most of American history, nobody believed that. For most of American history, there were all sorts of laws against certain sexual behaviors. There were famously laws against sodomy, but there were lots of other laws as well. Laws against fornication, laws against adultery, laws against plenty of other destructive sexual behaviors. Those laws were on the books as recently as 2003, when liberals on the Supreme Court discovered in the Constitution some sort of right to all of those things. He wants all these things to become illegal again. That th- yeah. That is his political project. Um, and uh, to quote Ari Drennan, quote, none of this is a theoretical exercise. After banning drag or gender-affirming care for minors, the Tennessee House yesterday passed a bill that would allow local officials to refuse same-sex interfaith or interracial marriages, unquote. Now, last year, we titled some of our episodes that cover this wave of anti-trans attacks, quote, like, the war on trans people, unquote. Um, And even, like, considering the origin of this podcast, I am often hesitant to entertain fantasies of actual civil conflict in the United States. But in this case, like, they are the ones who are killing us and trying to make our very existence illegal. It It is them who has initiated this type of militant language. The, the, the last clip I have here is of, uh, is of Matt Walsh talking about just that. We aren't even remotely done, okay? This is honestly only the beginning. We've got a lot more in store for you. I promised you a year ago that we were going to war here, and uh, I kept that promise. I'll keep this one, too. There's much more to be done that needs to be done, and we aim to do it. So the battle continues, whether you like it or not. The battle continues. So uh, a few days ago, the governor of Mississippi brought Matt Walsh to speak during an official press conference about the signing of House Bill 1125, uh, banning gender-affirming health care for minors. The presence of Matt Walsh at a state of Mississippi official press conference is a clear example of fascism being inserted into the governmental process. Um, and speaking of bills, I'm going to hand this over to Mia to now talk about some of the legislative stuff. Yay. Yeah. Wow, so this is, this is going to be a long one. I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry, folks. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the, the list of ways in which they are trying to kill us is long. So yeah, this is, this is the inevitable result of that. In, in one of the very early clips, right? I, I think. Think I don't know. God, I can't remember which one it was. Uh, one of the, maybe it was Candace Owens talked about like our publicist at Media Matters, right? Yes, and, and yes. I and I think you know there. there I think there is in a lot of cases. I think there's a lot of merit to not like covering this shit when it's specifically people like like very specific. Like you know, Alex Jones does this right. Well, like he'll say something like specifically incredibly inflammatory as a way to sort of get media attention to him. Yeah. But in this case, we can't fucking do that because all of the policy proposals that these people want are getting actually fucking implemented. Yeah. So here, here, here's from the human rights campaign about how bad things have gotten. Less than two months into 2023, human rights campaign is already tracking 340 anti-LGBTQ bills that have been introduced in state houses across the country. I think 100, it's like over 400. Oh now. yeah, it's it. This, 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 this yeah, I was gonna get this. So th- those numbers are from early. Those numbers are from early February. Right. Or mid-February. Now, yeah, it's, it's something like over 400. It's really hard to get actual totals because there are so fucking many of them. 
150 of those would specifically restrict the rights of transgender people, the highest number of bills targeting transgender people in a single year to date. They also note, as everyone else does, every single successive year breaks the record for the most number of bills targeting trans people. Um, Yeah, those numbers are already out of date. And okay, so on the one hand, right, there there are real problems with projects that just track the raw number of bills and you know okay on the one hand the the, like the the raw numbers are i think a good way of actually getting people to sort of understand like the level of threat that is happening like just sort of just sort of the, the raw magnitude of the threat on the other hand okay it, it it's kind of misleading in the sense that almost all these bills are going to fail because yes. most of these most most and this is the incredible important thing here most but not all most of these bills are made by just random state lawmakers with no political backing and this allows organizations you know sort of like like a lot of the nonprofit groups who who work in these sort of legislative spaces to like claim claim credit for defeating like 90% of the bills and it's like well no like most of those like almost none of them were ever going to pass in the first place and the second thing that it does is it puts this sort of cloud out, which makes it really, really difficult. You know, if you're just being if, – if you're, if you're trying to follow, right, the sort of legislative process here, it gets very, very hard because it, it's, it's very difficult to sort out which bills have any chance of passing and which ones are just some random dipshit like first term – like, I don't know, some, some, some like first term lawmaker from like a, a part of Mississippi that has two lawmakers, right? Yeah. Like – but so my 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 solution to this is we're going to run through the bills that have already been passed. Um, I, gu- I guess we should just start in Mississippi because we've sort of already talked about yeah Governor Tate Reeves inviting Matt Walsh to give a speech at the bill signing ceremony. So in Mississippi, a law was passed called the Reap Act, which you know that's that's great. It's a that's a <laughs> that that, t- that tells you exactly what they fucking. I mean by this, uh, this is a bill that bans – and this this is a very, very common pattern for bills. Um, it bans minors from getting hormones, from getting any kind of gender-affirming surgery, and blocks anyone from getting puberty blockers. Um, we've said this before. We'll say it again. All of this stuff is good. Kids should be able to get these things. Kids should be able to get these things easier. They – they they just unfathomably improve the lives of the children who get them. They all, make all it, of all of the data supports this notion. This has been normalized for literally decades. Yeah, and I mean puberty blockers in particular is is one of the things that's become the focus of like oh it's not safe. It's like puberty blockers were the compromise position, right? And this is something that I think has been lost in a lot of debate about this because you know we've gotten to the point where everything is being banned, but puberty blockers. You know, we're a compromise position because you could give people puberty blockers without like actually giving trans kids the hormones that they need. And even that, we you know, we're at a point where states are just full on banning kids from getting them. Uh, this sucks. It's awful. It is killing trans kids. Um, Mississippi also has a ban. One of the other things about this specific one, and not not all the states are doing it. Do this, but this specific bill also bans state money from going to any institution that practices like give, give, does like gender affirming yeah, yeah, care yeah. for minors. Yeah. Um, they also have an anti sports law, so you can you know you can see the sort of like how how the dominoes went down in terms of like I. Uh, Sorry, you you can see how the dominoes fell down in terms of where it started and where it was going, right? You you for, first you you get your anti bathroom law, and then you get you get your sort of uh, like keep trans oh. people out of sports, and then 
And then you, you get know, the healthcare okay, laws. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So Iowa also has a ban that's, you know, basically identical ban on hormones, gender affirming surgery, and puberty blockers. They also passed a bill that bans trans kids from using bathrooms and locker rooms according to their gender in elementary, middle, and high schools. And I want to talk a little bit about this because this is going to lead to kids getting fucking raped because it turns out if you force a trans girl into a men's locker room, uh, things are going to go real fucking bad for them. They don't give a shit about this, right? They they simply do not care. Um, but that's, you know, that, that, that's, that, that, that's the actual yep. substantive results. Um, the Iowa also passed, uh, I've seen it variously refers to as like a don't say trans or like a don't say LGBTQ plus bill. This is a bill that prohibits teachers who teach either from kindergartners through sixth grade from teaching about transness like at all. You can't teach about gender. You can't teach about like sex. You can't teach about, you know, you you, you can't teach about the fact that you can, in fact, change your gender and it's good and cool. Um, The human rights campaign says, quote, this bill would also prohibit schools from providing gender-affirming accommodations for, their, for transgender students without parental consent and would require school staff to out transgender students. Um, so I read this bill, and it's not clear to me how it requires that, but th- that's what the lawyers are saying, and I'm not a lawyer. So it may or may not require that. This is another thing, very specifically, this is another thing that, 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 that's been happening in, in the sort of newer waves of these laws are laws that specifically require school counselors teachers and school staff to out their kids like to, to out kids to their parents which is unbelievably dangerous um in in the last few years alone there have been a bunch of trans people who were just killed by their parents and you know forcibly outing people is it, like you're 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 exposing them to the risk of abuse you're exposing them to the risk of unsafe housing environments no it's just a little soft whack by your grandma i remember just a little a little tap on the head yeah yeah i was gonna uh, fucking beat you to death so these bills in Iowa have been passed by the House and the Senate, and they're just a, like they're just like sitting on a desk waiting for the governor to sign them, and the governor's going to. So, yeah, that's that's the situation. In Iowa, in Arkansas, you have the the hormone puberty blocker, gender affirming surgery ban. The Arkansas one is on hold because a you know, and this is a this is true for a couple of these, is that people have done legal challenges on it, and yeah, yeah the Arkansas in particular has had a huge legal fight. Uh, we still don't know how that's. I mean, the legal fights are going on for like a year. We still haven't gotten a ruling on it yet. Uh, they also have a a ban on trans kids competing in sports. Um, Alabama made it a class C felony, punishable by up to a decade in prison, to give transgender kids hormones, puberty blockers, gender affirming surgery. This one's also interesting because it, it it's the only bill. So most of these ones, when they do when they say minors, right? It's until you're eighteen, you can't get it. For whatever reason, Alabama uh, also bans eighteen year olds from getting any of these things. You just have to be 19. That's weird. Yeah. Um, part part of the bill, you know, about hormone blockers. So, okay, so, the, so the, specifically, the, the, the part of the parts of this bill that are about hormones and hormone blockers are on hold pending sort of resolution of legal challenges, but the judge was like, fuck it, you can do the surgery ban. So that sucks. Um, Alabama also has bills that's, you know, have the whole trans kids in schools can't use the right bathroom and... You know, teachers, counselors, and other school officials have to out them. Uh, they also have another don't say trans bill that does a very similar thing about you, you bans teachers from talking about transness until sixth grade. 
I think a, a lot of these bills are written by like lobbying groups who just yeah. copy and paste the same I, thing and submit it say, to a whole bunch of different states. I will say there are weird differences in them. Like, so you, you'll see like different, completely scattershot like definitions of what hormones are, or like de- <laughs> like some some of these bills try to define what a woman is, and it's very great, funny great. because they have to like do all this weird stuff about like like clusters of like chromosomes, but also uh-huh. there's like chromosomal diseases like you can't do this like fuck off it's uh it's so funny we should also mention that like there will be more reporting on this later uh this bill this episode's already too long but there have been a bunch of emails released from a bunch of anti-trans sort of organizers and fake scientists and stuff about how they've been coordinating all of this and a lot of the experts that they use for testimony for all of they show up to these capitals are like are exactly the same people and the the big guy they have saying that puberty blockers is unsafe like has never worked with a trans person in their life and has no fucking idea what they're talking about so you know this this is this is this is fun uh utah also bans uh also passed a ban uh banning gender affirming surgeries puberty blockers and hormones they also have a ban also have a bill forcing students and counselors to out their students to their families. Uh, last year, Utah Governor Spencer Cox was praised by the media for a symbolic veto of a bill that made it illegal for trans students to compete in sports. Cox signed this fucking bill. Signed, signed the one, signed the one that bans of uh, 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 gender affirming surgeries, puberty blockers, and hormones. Yeah, um, I think we talked about this last year. Yeah, or, I want to. We talked. We talked about some Utah thing last yeah, year. Yeah, well, we, we talked. Yeah, the thing we talked about was was him vetoing vetoing that bill. Um, I I want to read his thing for why why he why so he vetoed the bill that was less bad, and signed the one that's worse. And I'm I'm gonna read what he said about this quote. While we understand our words will be of little comfort to those who disagree with us, we sincerely hope that we can treat our transgender families with more love and respect as we work to better understand the science and consequences behind these procedures. Fuck off. Fuck all the way off. He's trying to avoid the Nuremberg trials. I, look, as a neutral as, as a neutral objective journalist, I'm obligated to inform you that Spencer Cox was a full-time missionary for the Mormon Church, which is currently embroiled in a pedophilia scandal after it was revealed to have systematically protected church members and members of the clergy who sexually abuse children from church sanctions and legal repercussions. Under Utah law, clergy have the right of penitent privilege, which means they are not required to report child abuse to the authorities as long as the information is revealed during confession. Both the Mormon and Catholic churches, along with Jehovah's Witnesses, have lobbied against all efforts to change this law. Earlier this month, survivors of the Mormon church rallied in support of a bill that would have ended penitent privilege. Governor Cox publicly announced his support for the bill being considered in the legislature, but did nothing to pressure legislators to vote for it, and as of time of recording, the bill is dead, leaving the church free to protect yet another round of pedophiles. Also, his name is Cox. Yeah. So South Dakota also I I I I I I, did, I I could do this for every fucking governor on this list and yes. I decided I was going to do it once and not do it for all the rest of them but fuck them uh South Dakota has a sports bill they also have a ban on puberty blockers hormones gender affirming surgery Arizona has an anti bathroom bill uh Tennessee has a sports ban it has the, the 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 basically identical ban on puberty blockers, hormones, and gender affirming surgery, and it also has this. It also has what's been kind of a new innovation, I guess, which is the anti. They have an anti drag law, 
Yes, this is the one that's gotten the most amount of traction and has sparked some debate over how much of it can actually be applied against just trans people living their lives um, because it is tied to the state's pre-existing obscenity laws. So there's been some debate about this. We will, we will, we will learn more about this as it starts being enforced by law enforcement and the court system. Yeah, um, I, I, I want to talk sucks. about it. It's not wanna, good. Like, yeah, I, I want to talk about it a little bit um, more. So the specific bill, it makes it illegal for anyone to be underage at a drag show and you know it basically applies like the rules around the sex offender list for where you can have drag shows so Go- governor william brian lee who signed this bill did drag in high school which i'm saying i'm saying here not to point out the hypocrisy like governor lee doesn't see anything any hypocrisy here but to get across the fact that republicans who want to do this stuff will still be able to this bill is targeted at a very very specific group of people as Jules Gill Peterson points out in her piece, The Left Hand of the Law, which people should go read, this is an attack on a very specific precarious class of workers, many of whom are trans, some of whom aren't, who do drag performances. Um, this is this is it, it, it's 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 a very specific attempt to sort of like neutralize. Okay, it, it, it's targeting this very specific middle ground between sort of like being in the formal economy and doing sex work there are an enormous amount of 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 trans people who who do sex work uh drag shows provide a way to sort of like not exactly enter the middle class but it it, it provides a legal way for trans people to like have a job that's not fucking that and th- those are and those workers are specifically the people being targeted by this weirdly i i don't know it the, it, it, the other thing that's unclear is for example like if a podcast does a live show where there's trans people, like what will happen? We don't know. But the other thing I want to say about this, right, is everyone's talking about this fucking drag bill. I have seen like basically zero discussion of they of the fact that they also pa- passed the same fucking ban on puberty blockers, hormones, and gender affirming surgery, which is way way more destructive and damaging. It's like but directly attacking. Yeah. So I think I want to push back about the the like yeah like what you're talking about about like what will happen if you do a live show? Like, what will happen? Because to trans people who live in these states, the state I live in is a red state. Well, it's not supposed to be, but it's a red state. And, you know, is considering a drag bill and things like that. And I recognize that they're, like, aimed. They're targeted specifically at drag performances. But there's a fairly easy interpretation of a lot of these things that literally says I can't go to the grocery store. And that is how, like, a lot of trans people in Tennessee are viewing this right now. And and so I, I don't think it's it's uh, a disproportionate thing that the drag bill is something that a lot of people are focusing on. I mean, we all care also about the hormone issues or whatever, but the uh, Tennessee passing the drag law that other states have, are considering is a new bad thing that could criminalize our very public existence. Yeah, that is part of the kind of discussion around this law's ties to the pre-existing obscenity laws and that will heavily depend on the discretion that law enforcement chooses to employ this law and if it gets taken up to like the court system how the court's going to interpret this law so it is like the vagueness is part of the point because that causes a lot of fear because you you really just don't know what it all entails and yeah that's fucking weird because you don't know if you going to the store is going to be a felony or not and how are you supposed to live like that yeah and it i don't know 
the sort of pervasive atmosphere of fear is definitely like part of the point of this, right? Like part of the way the sort of extermination campaign works is by forcing everyone to sort of live in fear of what, what they can and can't do. And also live in fear specifically of the police increasing the amount of violence that they're deploying. Yeah, I mean, and all this stuff, like like we talked about, they're specifically targeting people's ability to exist in a public life, which is whenever you want to do a genocide, that's one of the things you yep. do is you make people unable to exist in public life. This you, is literally what the Nazis did, yeah. right? Like You section them off into their own little communities where they cannot actually leave and enter into the outside world. Yep. So, so far, as of writing this... There are seven states with bans on gender-affirming care for youth. I was about to become number eight whenever the governor gets around to signing the bill. There are 19 states that ban trans athletes from competing. There are a number of states – oh, so uh, other stuff I forgot to mention. So there's – like literally while I was like – while I was like waiting to record this episode, uh, there were a few things that happened in like the legislature. So in Florida, there was a bill – that got just got out of committee that would ban LGBTQ books like in all libraries, not just sort of school libraries. So I don't know that that actually has a real chance of passing because it's Florida. There's a lot of movement right now. The situation is very, very sort of fluid and bad. Is yeah, yeah how, how I would say it. It is. Um, I think one closing note. I I will save my my kind of my ending thesis to start the next episode just because we're going on so long here. But the last thing I will say is I be wary of social media accounts that depend on ramping up and spreading panic to grow their follower accounts. Typically yeah. news, news aggregation accounts are not the best source of information because their existence is entirely dependent on causing panic. Um, so like look into the things like beyond just a tweet, like look into stuff before you, before you spread it. Um, just as like a general rule of thumb, I'm not calling anybody out here in any way. I'm just saying it is it is a good practice to get into, especially when we're looking into stuff that is about our very existence being criminalized. And that can be very depressing yeah. um, and it can suck to be constantly bombarded with. So it's good to stay connected to stuff that's going on in your own state. It's good to stay connected to bills that have a decent chance of passing. But but be be wary of 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 undue panic spreading just constantly nonstop, um, because a big yeah. part of being trans needs to also be like finding joy in living. Yeah, <sighs> and I, th- I think I think the, the the very last thing I want to say to lead into this next episode is we're not fucking done yet. We are still here. We're going to continue to be here. We are going to kick these people's fucking shit in, and we are going to fight them for every fucking inch, and they are going to lose. And next episode is going to be us talking about how we can start doing that. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. 
because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh boy, welcome to It Could Happen Here, and it sure do feel like it's happening, don't it? Um, thank you for surviving that last uh, long, excruciating episode full of basically just like a bunch of hate speech that we were trying to be like, hey, doesn't this look like hate speech? This is bad. Um, maybe platforms like Spotify, uh, YouTube, other podcast hosting platforms that I am somehow forgetting the name of. But perhaps they shouldn't be hosting all of this Daily Wire content that is ex- that is explicitly calling for genocide. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As we host it. Anyway, um, I think it, it is interesting what the Daily Wire is trying to do here because they obviously saw What is a Woman, the documentary, the quote unquote documentary by Matt Walsh last year, get incredible traction online and boost their subscription service. So now they're 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 doubling down on this because this is how they're going to try to make content. Um, and they are trying out as many rhetorical styles and arguments as possible just to see what sticks. Like it, it really feels like they're just doing like the shotgun method of like throwing every single possible reason that trans people are icky up against the wall and seeing which one like catches on. Like they're doing the they're doing a ban and transgenderism entirely. What is a woman? Groomers. They can't be genocided because they don't exist. Attacking transgenderism as a cover for trans people. Right. So it's all these all these various, various tactics, all these different rhetorical strategies, calling them demonic. It's 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 very much trying to be like if we if we if we throw up as much stuff as possible, attacking and demonizing trans people, 
some of these trends will catch on online, right? Some of these will, will catch on, will be spread to legislators. Eventually, something will stick. And that, that, is, that is very much the tactic that they are trying to use. And I think this is a point I, I wanted to make last episode, um, but I think it, it's still it's, it's, it's useful to hear now kind of in retrospect. Everything, all of the like extremism that you heard in in the, the last episode, all of these like very, very fascist talking points. This is what conservatism is now, right? Like this is the mainstream new right. Sure, you can call it fascist because by definition it it is. But sometimes that term like fascist or fascism, it, it carries with it this false sense of foreignness. It has like this. It has like this displacement in time, right? Most people view fascism as something that happens elsewhere or something that happened in the past. So by 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 just referring to this stuff as fascist, it creates a distance in people's minds. This 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 like um exotic improbability. But this stuff is like the mainstream conservative platform that the up and coming leaders of the conservative movement are trying to normalize. This was like the main talking point at CPAC, which is like the biggest conservative convention in the entire country. It is, this stuff is, is what the conservative platform is now. Um, and I think it is, it is just as important to emphasize that this is what the modern conservative mainstream is. And it is it is it is just as important to say that as it is to tie it and tie this rhetoric to the history of fascism, because the Overton window is certainly accelerating. Right. Like this thing can both be heavily steeped in the history of fascist rhetoric and also be like the new up and coming version of the conservative right that the Daily Wire and its allies are trying to normalize. And I just think that that is, that is something that I that I am trying to focus on a little bit more when I when I'm doing my writing and, and my research in these topics um, is that we often will use terms like fascist because these things are <laughs> are are pretty fascist. And I, I want to make sure that doesn't like create this false distance in people's in people's minds when they when they think about these bills, when they and when they think about this rhetoric. Yeah. And, and I and I think I think the, the 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 way in which this is simply what the modern right is demands a different kind of response than a lot of what we've been seeing so far. Yeah. You can't simply try to catch them in their contradictions. You can't simply catch them in their hypocrisy. Every every tactic that liberals tried to use against Trump in the lead up to his election and even Republicans tried to use, those tactics aren't going to be successful here because they weren't successful back then. Like you can't you can't like outthink them in in that in that in that way. Well, but um, the reason that you like when you when you call out, say, the governor of Tennessee or whatever, lieutenant governor or whatever of Tennessee for about his hypocrisy and how he dressed in drag and stuff, it's not that uh, the thing that that does to defend it a little bit to that calling out is it doesn't make his supporters, it doesn't change his mind, it doesn't expose him as a hypocrite to his base, but it does expose him as a hypocrite to his enemies. Um, and I think it is worth understanding that our, the the people who have declared us their enemies it's worth understanding that they are not like um, morally consistent actors. You know, it is sure. worth understanding that they don't believe the things they are saying. A lot of their base does. Yeah. Um, but it, so I, I actually do think that there is a point. Um, all of the shit talk on Trump and or whatever, um, I think might be part of how Trump didn't get elected again is because he, as he got more and more defensive, he looked more and more ridiculous, not to his base, 
but to uh, to the middle, which is basically the Democrats at this point. Yeah, it was able to recruit like a growing moderate oppositional force, which was what beat Trump. Trump was not beaten because people liked Biden. <laughs> he was beaten yeah. because they didn't like Trump. And I think you, you are you are right in having that. Be, that is a point to focus on. Um, I think it's it's important to to mention that like fascists do not believe in the absurdity of what they say. Um, it is it, yeah. that that is not necessary to to maintain fascism. Um, yeah. I, and I I think I think so. The position that we're at right now is a very very strange one for the left, which is that we are in a position where, you know, when 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 the Republicans tried to run on this shit in 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 twenty twenty two, they got destroyed. Right. This, this is this, this stuff yes. doesn't actually have mass popularity. This is what I wanted to talk about next. I, yeah. I have this. This yeah, is this is the, the very last section I have written is is on this topic because yeah, this off putting focus on like genocide and like the culture war stuff seemed to hurt conservatives in the last election cycle. Yeah, really and, badly. And yet again, they are they are they are still doubling down on it. Um, voters in some swing states were turned off by the focus on the regression of queer rights uh, instead of like actually addressing material conditions. This strategy, though, is a core concept of the fascist project, right? Instead of addressing material conditions under capitalism to improve people's lives, right-wing populists will conjure up this culture war boogeyman to blame all of like society's problems on and to, 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 to talk about the social war that is contributing to degeneracy. I also think that they're winning, unfortunately. Uh, not winning in a broader sense, but in terms of... Um... Yes, this is a very unpopular issue that they're doubling down on. But I think that, um, you know, I've I've seen studies where like a higher percentage of the U.S. population supports anti-trans stuff than did two years ago. Um, it's still a minority thing to hate trans people, but it is a growing minority. Um, yes, which is why like we're talking about how in a lot of ways it's easier to be trans in 2015 than it than it yeah. is now. Um, and and kind of on that point. I'm, I'm going to play the very final clip of Michael Knowles. We, we will never have to hear his voice again, hopefully. <laughs> his, his annoying little voice. Um, but I'm, I'm going to play a bit of a longer clip from him. Um, and this is from his initial like ban transgenderism entirely rant. And I'm only going to play this because he actually makes a point that we ourselves have made before when discussing this topic. The conservative right is desperately trying to play catch up, right? Us who believe in like liberation and freedom have been winning historically and yeah. the right's getting very scared and desperate. So in response, they're introducing all of these bills, right? And they're, and they're accelerating this types of eliminationist rhetoric. But in this clip, Michael Knowles provides us with our pathway to victory. We cannot simply hold our ground on these issues. We have to keep pushing forward because as long as we keep going forward and get on the offense, the right will be stuck playing a catch-up forever. And it reminds us of a truth in politics that Republicans all too often forget. You're either on offense or you're on defense. You're either making gains in the culture or you're losing ground in the culture. There's no standing still. There's no status quo. There's no neutrality. And what the conservatives have screwed up on for at least 50 years now, probably more, is the libs make some crazy aggressive play and then we try to dial it back by about 5 to 10%. Or worse, we try to slow it down by about 5 to 10%. So, so the libs 
attack the family through feminism, the fundamental political institution. They claim that men and women are basically the same. That takes the culture pretty far to the left, and then conservatives try to they try to inch it back a little bit, but not by the by the time they're even thinking about inching it back, the libs push forward with the normalization of other sexual practices. They agree rights, with his position so far, things. yeah. And then oh, by the time the conservatives are trying to dial that back, the libs have, they've lurched much further to the left. They're trying to redefine marriage now. They say redefine marriage. Well, I don't know. I guess we could come to some kind of terms with a civil union. And by the time you say that, whoop, they've lurched even further to the left now. They're saying, actually, we've got transgenderism. Actually, now a man can become a woman. A man can become a woman. Okay, but, but maybe we shouldn't do it to my, by the time we say that, whoop, oh my gosh, we're now, we're all the way off the screen because now they're trying to trans the kids. And there are many conservatives now who are saying, look, if you want, if you're a man and you want to put on a dress, that's fine, but just don't do it to children. Just don't make me pay for it. No. That is such an interesting little clip. No, I, I mean... It's funny because this is like kind of this is what I've been saying for a long time since about 2015 or so. Like looking at the rise of all this shit and you know Trump and all that is that we were winning culturally. I hate the the word culture war now means something different. It means yeah. arguing about guns or whatever. Um, but like we were winning on a cultural front very dramatically. Um, and like I would point to Steven Universe as the evidence that we are winning. Yes. Right? Um, you know. And then they basically had to play to their strengths. And he's talking about it. He's like, look, the, the, it's funny that so much of this is happening on a cultural front because it is not a conservative strength. Um, they, they have some cards in their hand when it comes to, to cultural stuff, you know, the anti-modernity stuff uh, when it w does weird anti-Semitic, um, you know, almost anti-capitalism or whatever. That's like a strong card they like pulling out all the time. But conservatives yeah. overall are not very good at the cultural thing. What they're good at is politics and violence. Um, and so they're playing to their immediate strengths as hard and fast as they can because they're on their back foot. Yeah, no, they are they are they they're defaulting to advocating physical violence and enforcing their worldview with violence and advoc and doing stuff on like the political legislative front. Yeah. Because they've realized just screaming about trans people isn't enough. They have to actually start dedicating millions and millions and millions of dollars to pushing these through state legislative cycles, which is why the Daily Wire has spent the past month and a half harping on this so hard as the legislative cycle for twenty twenty three is starting to like ramp up. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think there's another thing here, which is the sort of fundamental disparity. You know, the, the fact that they've chosen this front, right? There, there's a fundamental disparity in what they have to do versus what we have to do. Right. And, and this, this, this is a giant sort of shift in, in a way that I, I don't think has, we don't, I don't think the left really has much experience with, right. Which is like the thing that is happening in the U S right now is that we are the silent majority. Like the, the, yeah. the, this is this is true when when like consistently over and over again when you when you look at polling on these issues, right? Like just regular people are like, "What the fuck are you guys doing?" Right. Yeah. The problem is that you know we haven't those people haven't been mobilized, and you know it do, it doesn't matter if you're a majority as long as these sort of like you know because because again like who who the actual majority is in the US or like who actually what 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 actual regular people believe has very very little impact on the kinds of policies that are that are that are sort of enacted but, but you know but the, the, there's a second sort of issue here right which is the conservatives have like be, be, because of the fact that we are right now the sort of silent majority that we have a kind 
of I guess you know the Gramscian thing would be like hegemony, right? But like we we have we have an advantage in just how average people behave, right? They have to kill us. They have to fucking kill us. They have to make it illegal for us to exist. And they could do this, right? There there is a there is a real there is a real possibility that they can win, right? They they are winning on this front right now. This is this is what they are you know in the places where they have power. This is what they are doing. All we really have to do is survive because if, if we survive and we're able to stop them, you know, I mean, even if we don't get sort of like Argentina style, like we're going to have like, like hiring mandates for trans people, right? Like even if we just hold the ground that we already have, we will win inevitably, right? Like the, 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 the sort of march of, of where, of where the culture has been going will favor us trans people will be able to sort of exist in public trans people will be able to survive unless they kill us right now and that's 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 sort of that's the sort of the key thing that that Knowles has realized right is that this is the critical moments where either we win and we and trans people get to continue our lives or they kill us I, w- I would argue that it's not just kill us I think that even though we're listening to all this uh, exterminationist rhetoric, I think that the odds are that most of these people don't actually envision a future where they're like rounding us up and putting us in camps and gassing us. Yeah. I think that overall it's a drive back into the closet. I actually I actually take them at their word that they want to destroy transgenderism. And if transgender people have to die along the way, that's on us. But if we, you know, put on appropriate clothing and shut the fuck up, yes. like I actually think that that would suit them just fine. And so I, I, I actually I think do think they have to kill transgenderism. I, I think I, that's true now, but I, I, I don't know how true that is as they keep actually having to implement but their... they don't think being trans actually exists though, right? Like they, they think it just is people doing these things. So right. as long as trans people are, are able to, for one, maybe even not even realize they're trans, two... Yeah. Like repress that and just live their lives as if they were a cis person. That 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 is all that that that's what conservatives think trans people already are. And I think that that is a large part. That is a large large part of it is making us just not able to be trans in public life at all in in any yeah. capacity. I, I I think that's true, but I I don't I don't think they can. I I don't think their political path allows them to maintain that position. Like I I don't I don't think they can. Like I like. You know, one one of the things that's happening with with the right right now is they're 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 doing this feedback loop, right? Where they get you know like like where where they're they're sort of media people, right? Are, are continuously radicalized by their base, and their base radicalizes them back. And I, I I don't I don't think they can maintain an equilibrium position that doesn't involve like we have to hunt all these people down to make sure they don't go after our kids. Like I I you know I don't I don't think they're gonna I don't think they're doing that now. I don't think they're even planning that now. But it's it's I don't know how they can keep up this cycle without eventually getting to something like that? Well, it's worth it's worth being prepared for that type of possibility. But the kind of thing that I feel like really strongly about with all of this is to like really not, like the sky is falling, but it's not falling the way that we sometimes say it is. And, and when we say the sky is falling in a way that people look around, they're like, ah, oh, this is not how the sky is falling to me. Then people get like, well, actually, I think you all are being hyperbolic, right? Yes. And- and so I think that we do need to be really clear that they are open to the possibility of mass murdering us. Um, and they are actively discussing individual acts of violence being very justified against us. But currently, I believe the thing that they are trying to do is eradicate the 
concept of being trans as a thing you can do in American society. Um, and of course, like there's a lot of people who believe in death before detransition and all fucking power to, I, I don't even know where I fall in all this shit. I'm not trying to, I literally don't want to opine about it because I don't want to give anyone, I don't want to tell anyone what to do about that shit, right? Everyone yeah. makes their own decisions about closeting, not closeting based on their own uh, positions, you know? Um, but I, I think we do have to be like careful about it. And I think one of the reasons is because from my point of view, um, they have picked trans people, not because they care so much about us, but because we're a wedge issue. Uh, you know, we saw this in like, um, actually, I don't want to name them because I don't want to get uh, whatever, like different uh, large coalitions of LGBT people were perfectly willing to drop the T 20 years ago. If in order to get certain like equal rights shit passed, they just like straight up like trans people did all this fucking work organizing for this shit. As soon as it got to like higher up level in the government, they were like, oh, trans people, that's going to be a problem. We're going to take them off of there. Right. And, um, you know, and because we are a wedge issue and we, always have been. And I think the Nazis used us in a very similar way. Um, but even within us, there's trans, sorry, there's wedge issues within that. And so sports was the first wedge issue. I actually believe, I, I was reading this earlier, but I wasn't reading it for this, so I didn't take notes. Um, I believe that the majority of Americans do not believe that trans people should be able to compete um, in high school sports based on their preferred gender. Um I, I, I'm under the impression that that is a minority position to be trans supportive of trans athletes in, in school. Um, and so that is the wedge issue that they used to open up this divide in order to then come at us. But we're still just a wedge issue. And one of the reasons I think it's so important for people to understand us as a wedge issue is so that people understand like really clearly that they are not fucking stopping with us. Um, you know, this is like absolutely about like, you can hear it in that guy talking like, cause one of the other things he's talking about is he's talking about like women need to get back in the kitchen and be obedient to their husbands and shit. And yes. one of the reasons that trans people scare them so much is because we like, like, it's so funny. Cause like largely by and large, like trans men are left out of this discussion and trans women are seeing these like evil monsters or whatever. Right. But yeah. trans men are absolutely part of it uh, because ma it's massive, massive threat. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's stealing women from them. It is stealing their fucking wives that they want to have. They want to fucking own women. And like, so they can't handle the idea of anyway, whatever. I'm no, not a, a lot of, a lot of the things they get so mad about is when they see a young trans guy on TikTok and they're like, look, at, sorry, this is mm -hmm. going to be like gross, but like, look at this potentially beautiful woman who's yeah. now been ruined. Like, yeah. which is horrible, horrible, horrible. It's and gross. Save the titties. Right, like, but that is. Yeah. But we have so many grown men like thirsting yeah. over fourteen-year-old like AFAB people who are who are deciding that hey, maybe I want to start HRT, maybe I want to use different pronouns, maybe I want to have yeah. a binder, and this they get so so mad at that. And I think a a big part of not not simply I think I I think it is truly not enough just to hold our ground. We have to keep going forward. And a big yeah. part of that is having more intersectionality with transmasculine people. Uh, a big part of that is having a, a much, much more of a focus on gender non-conforming people and non-binary people, um, because we have we have to keep pushing it forward. We cannot simply hold our ground on this, because if if we simply hold our ground, they can pull out the rug from from under us. Um, really and I think point. that is that is that is a, a massive part of this. And I think I I do believe that we will win. I I fundamentally do because if if you look at 
if you look at like the rates of which young people, Zoomers, and even the, the, the generation younger than Zoomers, I, I do not know what they're called. Um, but if you look at the amount, amount of amount of us who are who who self-identify as non-binary, trans, or gender non-conforming, it is so much bigger than any previous generation. Once people once people experience a form of freedom, it is hard to take that freedom away. There are yeah. so many people who are entering their teens and are realizing they can be so much more free and they don't need to be limited to these weird draconian, like dualistic notions of gender. And that's amazing. If you look at a, a whole new wave of like actors and actresses and people in the entertainment industry, all, almost all of them are non-binary. Like the person who plays Ellie in the in the the, the Last of Us is trans. Um, oh really? Tra- I I I, b- I believe they identify as trans. Uh, non-binary or some Fuck form yeah. of of gender queer but this they is something sort of like that, play like, ellie like that too anyway i just oh, like abs- that. no yeah. absolutely but yeah. this is something that that keeps happening we are going to win this because there's so many of us yeah and we know that it rules to exist like this and we're not going to let them take it away and i think that is that is a big part of of not only standing our ground but continuing to move forward with the confidence that we will win in the long run yeah and i think that we can um and I think that, like a lot of the stuff, including myself, right? Um, I, I'm famously armed. I'm someone who you know believes in, in self defense and um, and all of these things, right? Um, but I think that we always need to like focus on our strengths when it comes to being, especially on the offense, right? And so when I think about like strategizing, how do we win? The stuff that you're talking about about staying on the offensive makes so much sense. And I think that uh, to misquote the art of war you attack your enemy where they are weak and you are strong you know um and so like and they are weak at cultural creation and i don't mean culture wars and culture war issues or no, whatever, like, right? like like art but and like, creativity yeah, <laughs> yeah and so like we win because we say because our ideas are good and when we express them people are like oh that sounds sick i want to be free right yeah um now at the same time we need to shore up our weaknesses. And I think our weaknesses at the moment are in the political sphere, which we're at a, on a, a back, we're on the back foot right now because of all the, I, I guess I don't track this stuff as much, but like all the judges and shit that got put yes. in under Trump. And we are also not at our strongest. I'm not trying to like call us weak here, but like far few of us, fewer of us are like weird gun nuts and like, no, yeah. you know, militant strategy protecty type people and i we've seen us shoring up that weakness and that rules but i think it's always important maybe not always maybe there would be a time when this would shift but overall i don't think that's our strength that's not where we go on the offense that is where we stay like protecting ourselves yes um and no, drag I mean, defense, like, like yeah. drag defense, queer defense, that has defense in the name. Exactly. And it, is, it is crucially important. Exactly. It, it, it also terrifies the fascist right. Yeah. The, the fact, yeah. the fact that like a, like that a 140 pound twink can carry an AR and defend a drag show <laughs> yeah. terrifies fascists. It, it <laughs> yeah. utterly like destroys their brains. <laughs> you know, force equalization's a hell of a thing. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> The the uh, trigger pull is two and a half pounds. <laughs> yeah, you know what else is a forky force equalizer? Swords. The, the, for, the force of advertising. Oh. 
and pole arms. As, as long as we don't have an ad for Rabbit Air, who has an office in Pasadena, California, <laughs> I'm, I'm fine. So I think if you've listened to the show a lot, you, they're, they're one of the sort of sub-themes of a lot of the writing that I do is thinking about what we owe the dead. And on the face of it, it's a sort of nonsensical question, right? You can't have any kind of reciprocal relationship with someone who's dead because, well, you know, they're dead. And this, this question, this question of what we owe the dead is a question born of grief, of a kind of sort of raw and immaculate anguish that comes to the memory of people who are like you in every way except that you're here and they're not. And this was written, you know, this was written several weeks ago. The people this is written for aren't even the same people that, you know, that, 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 like that, that is for now, right? The question in some sense becomes what do we owe the people who have died and were thus denied to live, the, denied the chance to live the lives that we do? You know, what, what do we owe them? What do we owe these people that we failed to keep alive? And this has an answer. This has, this has a very, very definite political answer. We owe them the destruction of the world that killed them. We owe them a future that we owe them the future that they should have had. And we owe them. We, we owe them a world where they never take another one of this, another one of us again. The world is already fucking burning. It is time to start the counterfire. Now, one of, one of the things that you that you will hear a lot, and th- this this is this has been this has been one of the sort of dominant responses, for better or for worse, from how people are thinking about these laws, is that these laws, you know, the, these anti-trans laws are unconstitutional, and <laughs> that does not matter. <laughs> that does not matter for shit, right? Oh, like oh oh, our old friend, the Constitution. <laughs> like I, I just I just I need I need everyone to understand that. The ability of the Supreme Court to strike down a law is not in the Constitution. None of this shit matters. They're making all of it up. The only thing that actually matters is power. And to to understand why the law is about power and, you know, and and why legality is not actually a a, a tool that we can rely on. I want I want to tell the story. I I'm not sure if I've told this story on 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 this on this podcast before, but I I want to tell the story of the worst mistake I ever made as an activist. So the year is 2017. Uh, Donald Trump's executive order 13769, colloquially known as the Muslim ban, has prevented people from Iran, Iraq, although they drop Iraq later, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen from entering the country. Now, almost immediately after the Muslim ban is announced, um, there is a spontaneous wave of airport occupations that sweeps the country. And these protests have two goals. Their immediate goal is to free the people who have been taken captive by immigration authorities before they can be deported. And the second goal is to end the Muslim ban more broadly. Um, this was this was actually my this was my first IRL direct action. Um, I, you know, I remember I, I was in this train car on the blue line to O'Hare, which is our, our airport in Chicago. And, you know, I'm on this train and it's packed and everyone is completely silent. And you know, everyone thinks people are going to get off, but as as we get to this airport, we, we realize that the entire train is completely <laughs> full of protesters. Like everyone yeah. on there is a protester, and it goes on 
and on and on. And we get off the train, right? We're walking through the airport and, and the, the way this airport is structured is there, there's like this overpass that you walk over where you can see the trains coming in and every single train is full of protesters and the trains keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming. And, you know, every, everyone, every time a train shows up, everyone starts cheering. And it is like, it is, you know, like one of the most amazing things I've ever been a part of. And, you know, and we, we, we start moving and there are just, you know, this is a fucking, this is an airport, right? Like this is one of the most heavily policed places in the world. There are not enough cops to stop us. And, you know, they, they, they make this one token attempt to try to clear us and they can't do it and they pull back. And now we are holding the airport. And we do it. We beat them. We win. The airport releases the detainees. They've been they've been negotiating with the ACLU. The ACLU have been trying to get them released. And the person the person from the ACLU like go comes on the mic and, and announces that they've they've released everyone and everyone cheers. And then and then the person on the on the ACLU person on the mic says they're going to beat the Muslim ban in court. And everyone goes home. It takes a few hours, but by the end of it, everyone goes home. And here's the thing. The ACLU, several years later, lost that case to the Supreme Court. The Muslim ban continued the entire fucking Trump administration, right? It wasn't repealed until Biden took office. We could have stopped it there, right? We, we held that fucking airport. Every, like, airports across the country in fucking like, in dozens and dozens of states were being held by protesters. And we could have stopped them. But we didn't. And we didn't because we trusted the courts, right? We went home, we trusted the ACLU, and they lost. Because again, the law is not about the law, the law is about power. And millions of people suffered the consequences of that. And this is what's going to happen if we if we leave this fight to the courts. Either either we actually sort of like stand up and actually fight, not in the courtroom, but in the streets, in schools, in salons, in shop floors, in the places where we have power, or we are going to die. That is my intro to this, which is that we cannot, we literally, like, if we try to leave this to what, the people who have been acting right now, right, if, if we leave this to electoralists, if we leave this to sort of legal institutions, and if we purely fight self-defense battles, we are going to lose. Yeah. So the question from there is, how do we hit them back? And what, the, the thing that I specifically wanted to talk about first is I wanted to talk about this thing called power mapping. Now, okay, uh, the moment you the moment you say the word map around leftists, people immediately start talking about how the map is not the terrain, and that's true. True. Like, base, it is true. Base. It is true. The map is not the terrain. They're different things. Don't, yeah, don't but, confuse them. But both them. are useful. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. You still you want a map when you're hiking, even though it's not actually the terrain. No. Smash yeah. the maps. Smash the maps. Walk the <laughs> map to- action. Situationist practice, walk around the city without a map, mess up the maps, sabotage the maps. Yeah, don't walk through the forest without a fucking map. <laughs> forest, yeah, that's gonna get real the forest bad. is dispassionate and cruel and will kill you. <laughs> so, all right, so what, what is power mapping? So th- there, there is a normal version, th- there is a version of this that gets, you know, it's, it's part of sort of like what I guess you would call like the liberal version of Organizer Training 101. Which is this like pure NGO thing, which is, you know, I guess you could you could argue it's from like a Linz, like like from Sololinsky or whatever the fuck. Um, and, and this this version about it is this is version is about finding and pressuring, quote unquote, stakeholders. This is almost completely useless to us. It's largely politically bankrupt and tactically it is simply not going to work. Right. Like th- there is some value 
in mapping out which specific like legislators and which specific governors are going to like sign bills, right? Yeah. But like, okay, NGO style pressure campaigns are not going to stop this. It, it, this is simply not going to work. Um, and the strategies that people have been employing to sort of stop this, right, which is, you know, relying on our suffering and our pain and relying on medical expertise, that, that doesn't that doesn't work. It simply yeah, does no, not sway it, them. Yeah. The it lacks a diversity people, of tactics. Yeah. The only language people understand is power. So, OK, having said all this, we can strategically use other groups like NGOs or sympathetic lawmakers to do their own pressure campaigns, but that 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 is not what I'm talking about here. We we can leave we can leave those people in their terrain. They're paid to do it. Uh, don't get sucked up into it. But you know, and, and I will say like, okay, sometimes very strategically, right? Like, you can you you can show up to people's events and embarrass them because you know who they are and what they're doing, and and that 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 can be useful sometimes. Like I, 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 you know, social I, I know shame people, can be can be a, a, a useful tactic sometimes. Yeah, yes. like I, I know, I know people who've done union campaigns where like things have turned around when they like showed up to like some NGO person's fundraiser and are like, "Hey, you guys aren't paying us," and they're like, and everyone was like, "Oh my god!" But you know, what, 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 what are we, what are we actually doing here? And what, 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 what I'm specifically talking about is power mapping in, in the context of direct action and in the context of sort of offensive direct action. And when you're thinking about power mapping here, there's two kinds of mappings that are useful. One is physical mapping. And this is something that people don't do enough. I don't know why they don't do this more. But for example, one of one of the things that made the Hong Kong protest work is that Hong Kong had really, really detailed maps, right? There were, you know, they, they, they had apps for this that were very, very detailed maps of Hong Kong city streets. They would map where the police were. They would map where the police were moving to. They would map where protesters were. And, you know, obviously there are sort of security and tactical considerations to this. But if we know the terrain better than the police do, we can do a lot of things. This is this is something that people are successfully employing in the city of Atlanta. Yep. Yep. And anyway, and this 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 is a thing where we have we actually do have an, a legitimate advantage in 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 large cities, which is that like the, the the cops who are in large cities are not from like those those cities, city, right? You know, and, and and I think I I think we squander this advantage a lot by just like like in in fucking Chicago, there's this one plaza, right? Like pretty close to Trump Tower, where every single protest starts, and. That's like it's in the middle of fucking downtown. So I guess people sort of know the way around there. But like I fuck nobody like nobody lives there who doesn't make like fucking seven hundred thousand dollars a year. Right. Like you're, you're, you're kind of squandering whatever tactical advantage you have. And also, you know, and, 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 and another sort of another reason to do mapping and stuff is is so, you know, you can you can plan things out ahead of time. Right. You can plan out where your lines of retreat are. You can yeah. figure out where choke points are so you don't get kettled. A thing that like I swear to God, no one who arranges a protest in the US fucking ever does. <laughs> like, I mean, I know some people do it, but like Jesus Christ, you like, you, you can you can figure out on a map where you're going to get kettled. Like you can do this. Yeah. And you know, and, and you you can do other things too with maps, right? You can fu- you can figure out where the locations are of infrastructure that is particularly vulnerable. You can figure out what roads 
will will cause the maximum amount of sort of economic damage if you shut them down. You can figure, you know, you can figure out things like can you lure the police into places where they can't use their numbers very well, right? Can you spread them out over a hundred different areas, and neutralize their effectiveness? And this is a kind of the, these are the kind of terms that we need to be thinking about in terms in, when when we when we're physically mapping and physically trying to understand an area. Which is that we need, we need to be thinking in very direct tactical terms. We need to figure out what kind of places, you know, and, and this also this also works defensively, right? We need to be figuring out, you know, okay, so we 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 have a drag show that's under attack, right? We need to, we need to figure out what kinds of places these people are attacking. We need to figure out how we can defend them, and we need to be thinking again in not not just like showing up to a place and being like, okay, we're here and these people are across the street, right? Like before that happens. And be, like be, 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 before a protest starts, before an action starts, there needs to be like work put in to make sure that what we're that the actions that we're doing are effective are as effective as possible. That so that that's sense. that yeah that, that 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 that's that's one part of this kind of mapping stuff. You know, if 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 you if you want more sort of inspiration for this stuff, there's a bunch of I. Uh, Oh my god! I'm now forgetting the name of every book. I probably should have actually written the books in here. But there, there, you can some of the some of the Italian autonomists will talk about this stuff, and they have all of these like really wild sort of tactical stuff about like things you could do in a city. Like you can mess up stoplights. You can like I don't know. Like they 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 did a lot of stuff with like moving signs around. There's a lot of very weird things. Yeah. In a city that you can do that we don't think about because we've limited our tactical arsenal to like people show up at a place and yell. Yes. <laughs> stand stand outside of a building and yell at a building. <laughs> End of protest. Yeah, and that that, that yeah. doesn't work. Like we need to have tactics that are sort of like that are beyond that. And I I guess I guess part of the reason that I'm 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 starting here is that I I want people to like literally like go back very much to square one of thinking about what our response needs to be before we start moving because you know, like, and I'm, I'm, I'm not this, this, this is not a sort of criticism of the people who've been doing drag defense. Like, they've been doing a great job, right? But our standard protest arsenal is not enough. It has not been working, and we need, we need to reevaluate what we're doing. It, it, it needs to expand, and we need to see a better understanding of what diversity of tactics means. I also think that on this particular issue, until fairly recently, our primary threat vector was non-state actors. Mm-hmm threatening yeah. physical violence. And so the community defense model is actually a very effective response to yeah. that threat and has been incredibly effective on numerous times. Now that we are looking at the threat coming from the state um, in terms of legislative, a- legislative action and all that stuff, it does open up a lot more tactical possibility like what you're talking about. Um, and that's cool. And people should realize that yeah, no, I think you're right. We should go back and look from the ground up and like come to new conclusions, new ideas. And, and I think I think the 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 other thing of of going back to sort of like basics, right? Is going going back to the kinds of go, going 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 back to changing how we think about the world around us so that we can actually so so that we can more effectively take action in it. The the other kind of thing that we need to do is social mapping. It's figuring out the resources that we have, the resources that they have, where they are, how they function, and this is something that Margaret, you've you've talked about in in your th- in in your thread about this, which is very good. Yeah, but what, one one of the things that we need to figure out very quickly is what skills do we have and what mm-hmm. resources do we have. 
and you know and th- this this expands into a lot of into a lot of different sort of fields right um you know there's the, the so, so some of this is sort of territorial right like it, it's about thinking about like what kinds like what's physically what spaces are safe for us and which ones aren't and how can we sort of leverage the spaces that we have that are safe and you know maneuver in the ones that aren't how is this changing there's also something that i i i I want to sort of think about here, which is this old, this is old tradition. Do you, do you, do you know what uh, workers inquiry is? I don't know. Okay. So th- this is, this is a very old Marxist tradition. Um, it, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Like Marx was attempting. So the, the origin of this is Marx was trying to like send out surveys to like workers to figure out what their conditions were. Mm-hmm. And people over time took this into more interesting directions of, you know, but it, it turns into a kind of like like a worker's ethnography of, you know, workers sitting down and writing or doing interviews about just literally like what what their workday is like, what the sort of like labor processes they're involved in are. How does how does that work? Like who like how do their bosses work? How how are they being managed? How are they resisting them? And, you know, and you, you there, there, there are other things you can sort of use this for that are very useful to us, which is, for example – Figuring out things like what is the what does your local economy depend on? What what are the sort of important logistics lines in that local economy? You know, who is physically doing the labor that the economy depends on? Who is doing the care labor? Because that's another side of this that gets sort of brushed over a lot. But for example, this 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 is a large part of why teachers are enormously powerful because teachers are doing a shit ton of care labor. That is is necessary for the uh, necessary for the entire economy to function, but isn't really seen that way, right? And you know, and and you 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 you, you can ask other questions like, you know, what, what what like literally, what are the physical conditions under which you and the people around you are working? A lot of this stuffs come to you, like person who works a job, right? Um, there there is an advantage that we have as people who do this stuff, which is that we 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 will understand the terrain of our own workplaces better than the people who are sitting at the at the top of the power structure because we're on the bottom of it, right? The people who are above us, and 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 this, and this, this is another thing that that's important about this kind of transphobia is that it's it's very much an elite thing. I speak, this is I think especially noticeable in the UK where like you can literally track who is going to be a turf by like what kind of like elite schools they're going to. Okay. But, but but like like literally like if someone goes to eat, like you know it's like who goes to eat and right like this is this is the thing it, this tracks who the ruling class is and who and who is a turf and who's not going to be a turf right and then, but this is this is also true in the U.S. where like I mean again if if you look at the media people who are pushing this it's a bunch of people sitting on like an unbelievable amount of trust fund money and getting a bunch of sort of right wing billionaire money yes my experience has been that since Trump's election the random folks around me have become substantially less favorable towards me. Um, and I think anti-trans stuff is, is popular across class, but I, I don't know. I, if that... I think that's, I think that's true, but I don't think it matters that much because mm-hmm. the, the, like, like the, 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 the ordinary person in your neighborhood who has become transphobic, isn't the person who has the capacity to get these laws passed. Okay. That's fair. And, and the things that they know are not the things that the actual people running these campaigns know. Yeah. Okay. And and that 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 I think is is what is sort of important about this is that like legislatures, 
Right. Or like, you know, the 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 people who are funding who are funding these campaigns, the people who donate to these who donate literally literally donate to sort of political campaigns. Right. These people do not understand what our jobs are. They don't understand what we do. They don't understand how the economy works very well. What the 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 version of reality that they can see is is a sort of bureaucratic image of it produced by their subordinates. And you know, the, the, there, there's a real problem with that, which is that a lot of the time, right? The, the more powerful a person is, the more likely it is that the version of reality that they're getting is the version of reality that is just being told to them by the by, by the people below them. And you know, and and this this means that like the the, the 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 more powerful the people we're dealing with, the less capacity they actually have to understand us. This is true even with for organizations that have like an enormous amount of raw intelligence that you know they're sort of spy and surveillance networks have assembled, right? They're you know they they have all this information, but they don't understand it, and they, and they're sort of buried in trying to like trying and often failing to to sort through all of the information that they have. Yeah, and they try and map it to their worldview. It's how you always end up with like. We found the like. I have a friend who was investigated as the leader of international anarchism, and it yeah. took them a really, really long time before they were like, "I don't think that's a thing." <laughs> yeah, well, it's like they they don't they don't understand how our networks work very well because yeah, yeah they they have stuff like that. But but this is also true, especially like on on the level of the workplace, right? Um, th- there is a bunch of stuff that we know that cannot be replicated by the people on the top of the org chart. And a lot of that stuff has to do with, we know how to make things stop working in ways that they don't. Okay. And, and that, that is, that, that, that is very sort of useful information to have, because if you know how something works, you can make it stop working. And, and this is, this is the sort of, uh, you know, this is a lot of what the Marxist tradition sort of was, right? It was an attempt to understand like what workers are doing the, the distinction I would make is they, they were trying to figure out what workers are doing because they were trying to figure out how capitalism works. And I don't care about that enormously. Like that, that's, that's, that's not a thing that actually sort of like, I don't know, whatever. I, I don't, I don't care about whatever esoteric value debates they were having. The distinction I would make here is that, you know, the Marxist version of this has this tendency to collapse knowledge production into just like incredibly bitter and minute debates about Marxism. We are not trying to do that. The thing we are trying to do with our version of this is stop a genocide, right? Our our version of inquiry means attack. And and when 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 when, when I say when when I'm talking about this kind of stuff, right? I'm talking about like you and f- like finding the other people in your workplace who are supportive of this stuff. And you know, I mean, literally, just on, on like a very very basic level. And this is something that you, you get in union organizing, right? It's like just figuring out what the fuck they do because. Like management doesn't know what you do, right? Like I, 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 I have, I, I have worked in a lot of 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 places. I have talked to managers a lot. They have no fucking idea what what anyone is actually doing. And if if you if you can build up, and this this is this is you know this is all going it, this is all kind of abstract. But if 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 you can figure out how your workplace works, and you can figure out how the workplaces of the people around you work and how, how the workplaces that like actually genuinely matter to the people who are doing this stuff, you suddenly have, you suddenly have leverage that, you know, that, you know, a a sort of like traditional like protest thing doesn't. And this means uh, for better or for worse, trying to get unions involved 
Um, there are upsides and downsides here. The downside is that there just aren't that many unions and there aren't that many people in unions. I also just have like a, a middling faith in them. Yeah, they're caring not. Or working on it. I mean, yeah, I mean, some of them I'm sure the could. Do. And, and I, I want to challenge all of them too. And if they do, I will eat my shoe, whatever the saying is. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, his, like they're not going to do it unless they're forced to, right? Well, I but mean, the, th- th- depending on the... I think some unions do. Uh, now I'm like suddenly 180 and I'm being like, don't yeah. talk shit on unions <laughs> like that. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Well, okay. So the, the thing, the part of the, the, the other reason that, that I'm, I'm focusing specifically on unions and I'm specifically, I'm, I'm focusing a lot on workplace organizing stuff is that, okay, one of the inherent problems of trans organizing is that trans people are not a large enough minority to enter the most sort of like cynical, like numerically deterministic counts of who matters enough to support, right? Like not, we're- uh, uh, uh. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet, right? But as as of right now, we're like maybe two percent of the population. Now oh, this will oh, change. It is, it is it is growing. If the Zoomer numbers continue, yeah, we're gonna be change, we're gonna right? be quite quite the problem. I remember marching with my my first boyfriend in this this bash back march where we're chanting one in 10 is not enough recruit yeah. recruit and it's just funny because it's like based, based. it works yeah, there's rules. more of us now yeah um, yeah and this is and true, trans are problem, really good at recruiting the lgbt because any, literally you cannot think i'm cute and be heterosexual there's no way of making that happen true no this is like le- legit le- legitimately one of the reasons that i figured out that i wasn't like a cishet straight dude was I was dating a non-binary person and I was like shit okay so Uh-oh. something's Uh-oh. happening here. like yeah. it's <laughs> um there are places where trans people are like enormously overrepresented right and and, and, and and there are places where we exist in numbers enough that we actually statistically matter and unions are one of those places okay because the, the people the people who are organizing unions like trans people are so unbelievably fucking overrepresented in all of that stuff. And, and this is this is as much true of I mean, okay, so th- th- this this is true really especially of, of, of any kind of sort of new unionism, like particularly things like grad student unions. Right. But it's also true of like like all, all of the fucking service sector unions that are getting organized. And this has been true for like 20 years. All of the people organizing that, whether they realize it or not, are trans. And. You know, th- but this this means that we actually have leverage there, right? Because th- this is this is a part of the economy where if we stop doing our job, shit will actually fall apart, right? Like, you know, a- actual sort of large scale union campaigns like cannot work without us, and that means that we we actually we have the ability to pressure them into doing shit in a way that's not necessarily true. And, and you know, th- th- I'm talking here like specifically about like you, the listener who is trans, which is like statistically statistically like you the listener is not trans if you are congratulations um if you're not I, I i also suspect they are slightly overrepresented in oh, d- definitely overrepresented. still probably not a majority um, yes I, I guess i like i i also want to say that like um i mean it's funny because the way to define cis allyship is literally just if you're willing to call yourself cis you know yeah it's like not actually a slur <laughs> it's just a description it's just a you know like the the not trans word right and it's not bad at all yeah um and now that that's a battleground word it's like pronouns and profile or whatever you know it's like it's actually fairly easy to um make it clear where you stand on this kind of issue um and i i will say i mean obviously trans people do a lot of this organizing but i think that we have a lot 
an awful lot of cis people with us. And so you, the cis listener, we also fucking love and respect you because if you've made it into yeah. an hour of us talking about how much this matters, it clearly matters to you too, you know? Yeah, well, this is probably hour like three or whatever the fuck and both episodes. <laughs> and soon you won't be allowed to wear pants if you're AFAB. So, you know, it's this is going to hit everyone. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, the, all of the stuff that I've been saying, right, about you know, and, and, and like another part of this also is is literally just like a thing that you can do that is organizing that will help in this stuff is literally just talking to your friends, yeah, and being like, "Hey, here's my eight friends or whatever. Here are things. How do you feel about this? You know, and then and then and then try and then you know using using this kind of stuff, using this kind of mapping stuff, and you know y- using using what you can learn about how. You know, this 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 part of it has been kind of abstract, but I I I I think intentionally so. It's like we 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 are we are in a place where we need to very rapidly build up capacity for a kind of movements that can actually do things, and I th- I think this is this this is sort of like the planning phase for that. Yeah, that tracks. Is yeah, and but you know, like th- th- these these are things that are going to have to be created very quickly. These we are we are going to have to very quickly figure out you know what 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 levers can be like pushed right and what one of the things about like the, the 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 first bathroom bill in north carolina right it didn't get repealed but it got like amended to be slightly less bad yeah and it got amended to be, to be slightly less bad because the state very quickly ran into trouble with a bunch of corporations who were like you know cuz in the initial push that they were like we're we're like okay we're going we're going to pull out of events in this state we're going to pull out of like backing your giant like we're going to pull yeah. out of having our giant like fucking sports tournaments here we're going to pull out of like advertising for like retail stuff and that and that got them to, to to sort of like run away very very quickly right and that's been the one big thing they've been actually scared of and i think this is part of why they've been pushing the sort of like woke woke corporation like anti-disney stuff so hard is that like the kind of backlash that can very quickly get these people to flip is the kind of backlash that starts actually hurting if these kinds of bills start hurting their bottom line, these a lot of these people will flip because a lot of a lot of even the legislators who are voting for this aren't as hardlined as the sort of like Daily Wire people. And and if if their campaign funders are like, hey, you gotta fucking turn this around so the economy can go back to normal, like they 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 will flip on this stuff. Okay, this stuff I was talking about is about things that you can do to begin to mount pressure campaigns and mount direct actions. I also wanted to talk about sort of like just survival network stuff because that also was going to be a part of this. And yeah, Margaret, you had a lot of very, very good stuff in a thread that you wrote about this. Yeah. I wrote a thread a a week or so ago uh, about all this stuff as I woke up and doom scrolled for a while. And, and, you know, and I was just thinking a lot back on, on the organizing that I know people are doing and stuff like that and trying to put things together. And, And so some of it's just kind of like tips, right? Um, and, I want to say, uh, like, again, well, again, to the thread, not to something I've said here. Um, I think that we need to focus on what unites us and not what divides us right now. I think that this is not a time um, for uh, public-facing internal conflict. It is not a time for um, interpersonal conflict to 
um, be aired publicly. Um, I'm not to say that interpersonal conflict doesn't matter. It does matter. We need to, you know, I, I believe mediation is actually one of the most important skills, actually, frankly, li- literally, if you're listening and you have any mediation skills, I think it is the thing that the revolution needs more than anything else off the top of my head. Um, but overall, um, Basically, there's something that MC Soul said. Uh, I don't know if it was on a podcast, might have been Twitter a long time ago, and it's really stuck in my head, which is that we need to focus on, we need to de-escalate all conflict that isn't with the enemy, which isn't to say that the conflict doesn't happen. It's that we need to look how to de-escalate it and bring it down in, in pressure, except when it's with the enemy. Like with someone who's trying to murder all the trans people or someone who's like a white nationalist or whatever, right? We are not looking to de-escalate that conflict. We are probably looking to escalate that conflict. We are looking to make it very clear the way in which we are not that person. But, um, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone else. I have a lot of pet peeves that people who listen to my show are very aware of. Um, Also, this fight will happen on multiple fronts using multiple tactics. There's this magical phrase, diversity of tactics, and we have to mean it. And diversity of tactics usually means like, kind of like, no, you should support my tactic. Like, especially if you're like tactic is like riots or something, you know, you often say diversity of tactics. And what you really mean is like my shit rules and your shit sucks. We actually have to straight up mean it. We need to support the people who are focused in legislative action. Even though it's not where we are strong, it is a place that is needs to be shored up. We need to focus, we need to support the people who focus on community defense. We need to focus, we need to support the people who are doing illegal things. We need to support the people who are doing organizing in all kinds of different ways. And if we build organizations that accept diversity of tactics and don't expect to have a sort of hegemony over the movement, um, we can create a very strong movement. Uh, most of my personal infighting is with people who do want to have hegemony over a movement. Um, and so you get, I fall into this like trap where I'm like, how do we fucking... Anyway, whatever. Okay. Um, Other things that people can do. If you are not visibly LGBT and you feel like it is safe to do so, or you feel like it is dangerous to do so, and you're willing to be a little bit fucking dangerous because we are in complicated fucking times, be publicly clear that you support LGBT, LGBT, uh, whatever, us. And like the day that I wrote this. The queers. Yeah, support the queers. Like the day that I wrote this, I live in, you know, I, I live in West Virginia. I go to Lowe's and, you know, I'm having a bad day. I'm like, fuck, I'm in like you know, at what point is it going to be a crime for me to go to Lowe's, right? And the, like, guy, just the fucking metalhead guy who seemed kind of, like, super masculine metal guy, tattoos, and he had his fucking, like, trans ally support pin on. And if we were in, like, a big major city, it might have almost seemed, like, cringy because it said, like, ally or whatever on it, right? And I'm fucking over worrying about what's cringy. I'm, like... No, thank you. I, I, I went up and I, I, I thanked him, right? Because it like fucking helped my day. Um, and that kind of shit is going to matter because it is now actually a fairly dangerous thing in some places to be visibly uh, in support of us. And I absolutely appreciate the people who are doing it. Um, and Another thing that we need to support, this is the kind of thing that you've talked a little bit about, is that, okay, we need to have support networks. We need to have networks that are protecting trans people, um, families that are leaving environments. There's so many families that want to leave these states where they, their child is no longer safe, will be forced to detransition, will not be allowed to transition. There are trans parents in Florida who might be at risk of losing their children, all of these things. People are going to want to move. We need to support people materially who are trying to move. 
And there will be organizations that are doing this. If they don't exist yet, you can start them. And if you wait for them to start, that's also sometimes okay. If your plate is full, you can support those organizations um, in a lot of different ways. We can also support and not shame people who choose to live in red states. As a like a as a red state trans person, I I think about this a lot about like because like I'm not planning on moving, right? Um, you know, it helps that I'm an adult. I'm like settled, whatever, like my mental health is strong, um, you know, but I'm not planning on going anywhere. And that's why we can't give up these spaces, right? I think that one of the things I kind of mentioned earlier, but is that like, we are not in normal times. We need to take this seriously. We also need to not assume that all of this is a foregone conclusion. Uh, we need to not assume that this will go down like Nazi Germany. However, we need to be aware that it might. And we need everyone. This is not a trans people thing. This is an everyone thing. We need to think about what that actually means. You know, there's that cliche that is true right now that is like, if you want to know what you have been doing in, in Germany in 1933, it's what you're doing right now. And like, that's true. This is a time for us to be the kind of person that we want to be. We are in dangerous and complicated times and it is times that we need to be brave and we need to be brave for each other. Bravery is not the absence of fear. Bravery is doing things despite fear. Bravery is the presence of courage, not the lack of awareness that things are scary and bad. Um, yes. And that's kind of like my main thing is I want us to not panic, right? Um, to not assume that we're going to lose uh, to realize that they are acting this way because they're on their back foot. Um, this was always going to happen in the fact that in a way we kind of started this fight by like existing and like coming out of the closet and shit. But we basically were like, no, we're allowed to be here. And most people were like, yeah, okay, I guess that tracks. I guess you're allowed to be here. And then some small portion were like, these are demons from hell sent to rip yeah. the tits off of the children I'd like to no, marry. Yeah. Um, the freaks like Matt Walsh are the ones who declared, quote unquote, war on trans people. Right. Because we were coming for their way of life, not their way of life in terms of like heterosexual marriage. That gets to still exist. That's fine. Like, but compulsory heterosexuality and compulsory cissexuality um, is the thing that we are coming for. And their way of life is hegemony. Their way of life is being the only force of power. And so, yeah, I guess the other stuff uh, is that we just, okay, what would you do in Nazi Germany? That's what you're doing right now. And you should think about what skills you have and how they apply to different things. Um, and then the kind of final point to a lot of this is uh, as a specific issue and it's a pet issue of mine and I could be completely wrong. I have a lot of bias about this, but I would fucking love it if liberals would shut the fuck up about guns right now. Um, I, it is very hard for me to find a state that is not either in the process of trying to tell me that I can't wear a dress or find a state that is trying to tell me that I can't carry the means to protect myself from the violent bigots who want to kill me because I wear a dress. It is incredibly hard to find states that are not pushing in one of those directions or another. And it is embarrassing. It is embarrassing that this of all times is the time that liberals are focusing 
so hard on gun issues, which is a culture war bullshit thing for them. They don't fucking care. They didn't fucking care about abortion. They just want your fucking votes. Um, And we are probably entering a very bad and hard time. However, we can do it. We have done it in the past. Uh, In my reading of history, it basically is this cycle. I kind of don't quite believe in like a forward progress. Everything gets better. Um, Things ebb and flow. And however, we will survive this. Not necessarily all of us as individuals. Probably, probably there won't be like large numbers of killings as a result of this, but it is possible, right? Um, But they, it is impossible to stamp out homosexuality. It is impossible to stamp out transsexuality. Um, we have always been here. We will always be here. And so, yeah, uh, to, to, to quote my final quote in that particular thread, I definitely went off thread, but um, we need to find each other. We need to stop fighting with each other about bullshit. We need to defend each other. We need to be brave. And then... Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I, I will cite the anarchist prayer, which is that I ask not to be safe from my enemies, but dangerous to them. Because, all right, this is what we're fucking doing. And like, w- we all want to be safe, but that's not something that we're guaranteed. What we are guaranteed is that we can choose how to handle the situation that we're in. And then, almost done, almost done. You talked earlier about what we owe the, owe the dead. I really liked your way of phrasing that. I really liked a lot of what you were talking about, about all of that. Um, and one thing that I think about, we're talking about like the Catholic church and shit, right? Um, one thing that I owe the dead is I owe Sister Dominic, a Catholic nun, um, to not fucking go back into the closet. Uh, because when my cousin came out as trans, this woman who is literally married to God, she died a couple years ago, um, maybe 10 years ago now, before I came out, um, but my cousin came out before me because it's a contagion. No, because we were always fucking trans. And she was completely supportive, completely and immediately in my like, you know, and just this is a woman who dedicated her entire life to, uh, well, to God and saw literally no problem, was the most immediately accepting person, immediately said, you know, I bet she's always felt that way. And so I, I, I personally owe it to her to tell these Catholics to shut the fuck up <laughs> because fucking Jesus' wife says it's fine. Fuck you. That's what I got. <laughs> thank, thank you, Margaret. Yeah. Uh, that was fantastic. Where can, where can people find you and some of your other work across the, uh, across the web? Yeah, um, I just finished a four-part series on Stonewall and the stuff that came before Stonewall, the riots that kind of brought us this movement and how it was all different types of queers and even some het people working together to bring us as far as we've gotten. Um, and you can find that on my podcast, Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff. It's with It Could Happen Here host Shireen as my guest. Um, and you can also find me talking about the end of the world on Live Like the World is Dying as another podcast that I'm a co-host of. Um, and my most recent book is called Escape from Incel Island. And it is not nonfiction. It is not something about how people should get better. It's literally about someone with a shotgun who lands on an island full of incels and has to get out alive. Fantastic. 
Well, thank you for uh, listening through all the way. If you are still here, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you've uh, learned something interesting across these uh, these these two pretty pretty heavy episodes. We will we will see you on the other side. Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 